Hello and welcome back to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitale. Joining me today, I've got the usual crew here once again. We've got Josh Torres. It's been seven days, 12 hours, 31 minutes, and 52 <laughs> seconds since we last spoke. Uh, we've got George Foster. Hello, everyone. We've got Adam Vitale. Hey, guys. And James Galizio. No cereal this time. So last week we had kind of a smaller podcast, but we took the extra time to talk a lot about Outriders and a few other games. Uh, it'll probably be a lot of the same cadence this week. We have a few surprising uh, news bits, but not too many. A few uh, release dates were announced as we slowly filter in uh, the schedule for the summer months. And again, we're going to focus on games that we've been playing. And I actually have something to contribute to this this week for once. Uh, but I'm going to let someone else go first. Not Adam, because I've made him go first twice in a row. So that leaves George, Josh, or James. That's hard to say in a row. Well, if you don't want to go first, then I can't go first either, because uh-huh. you, you and I are going to talk. I'll go first. I'll, you know, I'll get, to the, I'll get to the plate. All right, George. What have you been okay. up to? Are you okay, so, George? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> um, the, the big one. Uh, last week, I talked about it a bit. I have actually now finished Disco Elysium. Um, Final so you were, you were waiting for the, uh, the big patch, is basically what you're doing, right? Which finally, finally came out. So I, w- I was kind of hoping... For spo- spoilers alert, it, uh, not to do with the game, but it didn't fix a lot. Um, no, the, the, the patch that, uh, that went down for the PS5, right? The PS5 version? Yeah, yeah. Uh, patch 1.2. Um, it fixed... It fixed enough, so I was actually able to finish the game. Um, and before you, I believe you can finish it, but like it really is to your detriment if you decide to do that because it like locks a key item um, that you actually kind of need to like not get the good ending, but you you, you know you you do want to get it. Um, and there's another glitch as well. Uh, I think it's people are referring to it as the pigs glitch just because it's to do with this one character. Um, that one's been like not fixed, but there's a workaround. So you can now do it if you want to. Um, it's still kind of a mess. Like I, I'm, I'm really sad to say that like it's, it's such an amazing game. It is. is a, any, can you can you describe it in a way that doesn't spoil it for people, or is it such a, a spoiler-heavy like instance of what of what uh, what's still broken or what's been fixed that it's hard to describe? Okay, I'll like I can do it spoiler-free. I'm gonna like just rattle off some of the things I've experienced. Okay. Um. So I've had soft crashes. So I've had like the game freeze off and I've had to crash it myself. I've had hard crashes where the game's gone, nope, <laughs> this doesn't work now. Um, the pigs glitch, basically, you at kind of an important moment, you run into this character, um, and unless you wait behind the gate and aim at them yourself and then click on them, you will glitch and it will like freeze the conversation so you can't progress. You can like you can go into your menu, but you can't get out of it, so you're just stuck there. Uh, there's the car glitch where there's an important item hidden in the car, but it's the car is still text- textureless, and you have to like initiate a conversation after waiting on a swing to get it to work. Um, whatever stuff. Oh, there's all the political quests. The one that I chose, which I think is the moralist one, it's glitched right at the end after like an hour of progress. Oh man, it just glitches. Oh, yeah. So you know, I'm more disappointed by the fact you went moralist than the fact. It's- that's glitched. 
I know, I know. <laughs> I, I was really boring. I didn't really think about it too much. Um, I actually, funnily enough, they're, they're woven in so well that I didn't realize they were like the new content until I came back after finishing it just to clear some stuff up, um, just to like get back into that world as soon as possible. I was like, oh man, that must be one of those, one of the new quests. They're, they're done really well. Um, and I want to go back and do the others, but at this point, I'm kind of just like, I can't be bothered. Like, why, why, why would I go back into it when it's almost definitely going to be glitched as well? I'm, I'm now at the point of like, I'm going to sit and wait until patch 1.3, and then I'll, then I'll do another playthrough because I, I love this. Do they have, do they have an ETA on uh, patch 1.3? They're working on it. They've announced no. that so it's no. coming. Yeah. So may, maybe a week, maybe a month. Who knows? Um, Hopefully, I, sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah. I, I really want to keep playing it. Like, I, I've never come out of the game and instantly gone, okay, yeah, I want to do this again. Well, maybe like Last of Us Part 2, but like since then, not for ages. I, I adore this game. It is to and, me. And you feel that way even with the glitches. It's even with the glitches, yeah. It is a masterpiece, completely. I, I, I'm, I'm stuck in a rock and hard place. Like, I, I fought to review this game. Well, I didn't fight to review the game. I, I really wanted to review the game. I was like, yeah, yeah, like, I really, really want to play this. I just, I feel like I'll vibe with it. And now I'm like, oh, I've cursed myself because I'm going to have to be the one to say, don't buy it right now. Like, it's an amazing game. Don't or buy, buy it. Or buy it on PC. Um, I think it's still kind of a bit screwed on the PC as well. Like, that, that's uh, I've heard idea. that the final, I've heard that the final cut on PC is a lot more finicky than the original release. No, no, it is first-hand experience, though. But I will say that at least the car issue you were talking about, I literally did that yesterday, and the car is fully textured. I, I, th yeah. I think, I think it's still the same result either way. Like that final cut right now, like no matter how you go about it, it still has problems on both platforms that it's on right now. Just, mm. I would say, just wait on it. Like it's a shame, but it's one of those things. Like they probably should have delayed it then. Yeah, I would have preferred be that. the case. Like you know, it seems like it launched pretty hot. The thing is, even like Brian was saying, even with all the glitches, I, w I wouldn't say it's broken. I wouldn't go as far to say, like, I, I don't think it's in an acceptable state, but like, I still managed to finish the game. And when I really zoomed out and looked at the stuff that was like going wrong, the crashes didn't really bug me all that much because there's quick saves quite a lot. Um, and this comes off as very like trying to defend the game. I know it comes off as like, um, you know, like, oh, no, it, it, it didn't it didn't break that badly for me. Like, it's fine. Like, it's not fine. It should be in better condition. But I would still recommend it. I would definitely still say to people, yeah, it's totally playable. It's still absolutely incredible. It's just when you get to a certain point, you know, maybe look online how to get past that bit. Um, or, you, you know, my you know my recommendation that from all I've, I've heard so far is like, why don't you just wait a few months and by then I'll be at a cheaper price probably or go on sale. Yeah. I'll probably at a better state. That's it. It's 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 running around in circles after myself because I want I want to shout from the rooftops that this is one of the best games I've played and that this is a game like that has instantly hit my all time list. Like I finished it and I was like, yeah, wow, oh my god. Um, in the same way as stuff like Hades and Last of Us, just to name like recent examples. But then, uh, you know, I, I like I like I think I've made pretty clear here. I can't really fully recommend it yet. Um, my review for it will be coming out soon. Uh, I was sat kind of waiting around in the same way of like, oh, I'm going to sit and wait around for the patch to come out to actually play it. Then I played it, and I think I'm just going to have to write it up. Um, it's still going to be a positive review. I, I, I think I, I think I definitely, the good outweighs the bad. The bad is just kind of disappointing. 
Um, well, we've talked on the podcast before that it's hard to review. Like you want to factor your experience with these ways that you have to work around bugs and things like that and all the crashes you've had. They, those have to factor in, but to what extent, to what volume level, that's kind of one of those things that there really is no set rubric that you must adhere to. Because what if you write a review, let's say by the end of April, but then by by next year, the game is is in a perfectly almost flawless state. Like you, you don't want to date your review by banging it too hard, but you also don't want to ignore the problems and act like they're not there. And it's no right answer for that. It's always yeah, I mean, that just happened right. very recently for me back in January, February, when I did the East Nine Monstrum Knox review for PS5. Like before that actually launched to the public, like the code that we got, and this is pretty prevalent for the running it on PS5, was like that game crashed a lot. And I was like, it was one of those things like, and I would really, really like to like love, love this game. And I think I, I do still, but it's just my first experience with it running through that was like, that was a lot of crashes. And that's so we basically had to go contact this American, like, this is what's happening and working with them. And then they said, okay, there'll be a patch out by either by the time of release or around release. It's like, can we take their word for it? Luckily in that situation, it was able to, uh, it was able to be patched out or fix all those crashing issues by the time it released publicly. So like my score didn't like the, those crashes didn't really factor into the score a little bit. Like I did mention it, like just giving a word of warning. And luckily, you know, by release day, we were able to like put an addendum to that recent review saying, like, hey, this is what this America said. And then by that time, you know, luckily the vast majority of people who played it don't don't have to worry about that. So it's one of those things, right? Where it, this, this situation is different because this game is already publicly available and these things are still happening mm. to the majority that are va vastly playing. Unlike in my situation, uh, only people who are either reviewing it or got an early copy through whatever means, you know, that was only happening it to them. Yeah, my, my, my most similar experience was when I reviewed Pathfinder Kingmaker uh, and it was incredibly buggy on release. And I've played plenty of RPGs early or pre-release where you have quests that bug or certain flags that don't trigger because you like certain Bethesda games like Skyrim or whatever, not all of the quest permutations are always like figured out where you might like lock yourself out of a certain thing. But in Kingmaker's case, like I could not even see the ending. I had like bugged it where I had no, I could not complete the game. So of course I wrote a pretty dour review on it. But then over the next year, the developer there like really tuned it up and really kind of put out like weekly hot fixes and patches and updates and they never let it rest so i kind of felt obligated and i did i revisited the game a year later and wrote basically another feature saying okay like here is me quote unquote re-reviewing i didn't score it again because at that point the score doesn't matter but it's like okay let me play the game as it was intended with that with kind of all the all the technical details pushed aside so hopefully that's not what you have to do for disco elysium final cut uh but like not every every situation is different. The pre-release bugs, a game that takes a year to fix, maybe Disco Elysium will only take a couple months. Who knows? I think what it comes down to for me is the the importance of a score, right? Like if you read my review, uh, I'm sure you can get you can see through the cracks and say like, yeah, this is a game that like George loves. George would recommend this to every person in the world. Wow, weird saying third person. Um, but like if you my review is gonna be very, very positive with the caveat of like at the end, like, but here here's like why you shouldn't get it right now, and here's some of the issues of it currently. Like but then if I if that affects a score, there are gonna be those people who go, Oh, seven, eight, oh, guess that's not like the game of the year everyone talks about. But then obviously if you read it, you can you can garner my opinion more from it. So it's just 
it's such a it's a such a tricky place to be in. Um, and if there were any other game, if there were a game I felt less passionately about, like say, I don't know, uh, what's the game? Say Biomutant, for example. Say that comes out, that could glitch the heck. And I mean, maybe I'll love Biomutant. Maybe that's a ten. I don't know. But say say that's like it would usually be an eight, but I'm bringing it down to a seven because of how glitchy it is. Like that wouldn't bug me so much. But with Disco Elysium, because it is so so good, it it makes it so much harder to have to like. You know, it's like the teacher's pet. You don't want to tell the teacher's pet off. Like, it's doing such good work. I don't know. Well, I kind of... Let, let's put aside the technical stuff for now, because I actually am... A, like, I feel like I almost owe you... Maybe not an apology, but I, I paired it a couple times. Like, Disco Elysium doesn't feel like a George game. Like, I'm sitting here almost, like, soft betting that you're going to turn around and not gel with it. And apparently I was wrong. Like, or the implication was wrong. <laughs> I'm as wrong. surprised as you, honestly. So I, I kind of I want to hear, despite your experience, because you don't... You haven't played many games like this. Even there aren't, you could argue there aren't many games like this, period. But uh, just even like an isometric RPG that's mostly focused on dialogue, but you still obviously took to it really well. I kind of want to hear like what your experience was like playing it, glitches aside. So I I think the main way that I got around, like this is, as you said, this is not my type of game, Um, but the characterization is so, so incredible. I've never. I've even in even in games I've talked about in the past, like The Last of Us. I mean, that's such a weird example to jump to. The writing in that, which before I would have called like, "Oh my god, this is these are real people." I now look at Disco Elysium, and I'm like, "No, these are real people." Like this is this is like amazing. The conversations are so fluid and realistic, and the story is so genuinely interesting. Uh, there are so many moments where I was like. I was like, oh my god, yeah, like I get that. Like obviously it's a it's a mystery. So there are bits where it is like, you know, like ah, aha, you know, that typical moment. But then there are bits that are like completely go against your expectations. And I'm not gonna spoil it, even though this is like No, I won't spoil it. That I've talked to Adam about it and we've both kind of had the same reaction of like this is really smart how they tie it up, and it's like the greater meaning of it and the greater meaning of the world is so just so in, so amazing. I feel like have you ever read like a really, really, really good book that's like kind of kind of changed? You're like, oh my god, that's like that's the difference between a book and literature. That's how I feel about Disco Elysium. Um, I don't it- want to spoil it either, but broadly speaking, I feel like almost everything in Disco Elysium has a purpose. There is not just this is here because it's cool or whatever. There's so many parts to that game that are trying to tell a larger story or have higher meaning in terms of. The, the developer is trying to say something, and it's really cool. So I've been playing it too, and I think two thoughts. Uh, one, the absolute worst thing you can do with Disco Elysium is just try and mainline it, because mm. you get way more out of it if you just try and like explore as much as you can, try and deal with as much as you can, even if it's like being nosy or whatnot. Um, the second thing, I don't know why I thought this, but when George brought up the book analogy, I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure th- uh, the world would be a much better place if everyone that the only book they've read is Harry Potter actually bothered to play through Disco Elysium. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also worth mentioning that the writer for this game literally is like the author of a novel. Like, <laughs> so it's a, you can tell like, this, this yeah. book. This book is based off of like this world that he's written. Like he is a novelist, so that sort of makes sense how that might be the feeling you've gotten from it. I think 
as well this this gonna because I, I realized looking back i'm like that sounds kind of pretentious the way i worded that and i was like that's cool though like i like i like those moments where the prose in disco elysium is so great that you just want to like and i did you just screenshot it and you're like wow that's just such a that's such an awesomely worded sentence it's such a great way to describe something i remember when you inspect the broken window at the start of the game i can't remember exactly how it's worded but it's almost it says something about it like almost looking like a smile and i was i was just like oh this is what it's gonna be like the whole game just so many sentences that make you feel clever for reading them and it's like that throughout the whole game just nothing is described as oh this is a you know this this is revishal this is the city it's always described and like yeah the descriptive text is fantastic okay so i'm gonna um phrase this in a way that avoids spoiling it mm. but did you return the library card no okay what, what did i miss <laughs> okay um Oh, quick... I know what you're referring to now. Um, the the docks, like the harbor sort of area, right? You get a library card out of somebody's yes. pocket, mm. and that fuck man, fuck. <laughs> like I like what you said earlier, uh, George, where you mentioned that you like screenshot of the conversation. I just sat on that a bit because, like, I have a hard time describing like why something that is written is and how is it how is it how it is good. But I can tell you what I do when I read something that I know is good. And I know that's kind of maybe a cop out, but like a game that's mostly about reading or in the case of the Final Cut, listening to dialogue. And you still like are screenshotting it as if it's like an action game, but you're, you're screenshotting dialogue windows and you don't like I wasn't thinking twice about it, but I did that. I remember I tweeted a few times out. I haven't played the Final Cut, but the original release, because it is just so fun to read and you're not skipping mm -hmm. through dialogue and you're not just looking at the choices and like glint, like gleaning like the, the broad strokes like you're really invested in every or at least most every character and what they're saying and how you how you should respond or how you want to respond i, I just it, as well as that i realized when i was going back to do that political quest i was like this world is just so relaxing like even though even though you are trying to solve like a literal murder and there is such there are some really mature themes and like sour moments and some really depressing stuff like it's just it's just nice to play like it's nice to just go around talking to people it's nice to just clean up stuff in your in your task book and or talk, talk to the girl outside the bookstore yeah yeah like and it's it's a, it's a testament to how you can make such a small playable space interesting like it's really only a smattering of buildings and like a few docks mm. and i guess if you when you go further west it's a little bit more open but they they do so much with the playable space where like you almost measure what they put into the game by not number of characters or number of uh well, I don't know map space or square you can't even yeah, measure it like square miles square more, feet yeah it's more narratively built or uh, vertically instead of horizontally so to speak like they're, they're, like there's a there's a nice density to it and like it, but it feels manageable because it's such a confined space so like it's not like oh no I have to go like a thousand miles out and then there's this is where the story is now and it, 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 you get a familiarity as you travel around that space which is uh, really I'm, not, I'm definitely not the first person to mention this but uh people have made the comparison that like this is probably the the uh the case where warren specter mentioned a long time ago that he wanted to make like a city block game like a game that takes place within a city block and this is pretty uh. much that 
Yeah. Warren Spector being the creator of Deus Ex and a lot of other stuff. It's that like I could literally now now you've got me started. It's kind of hard to like when someone says, Why do you like this game? It's like, oh, how do I how do I even begin? But now I've started, I'm like, I could go on forever. I won't because there's other stuff to talk about. But I think one of the the final things I'll say about the final cut, whoa, is that it makes <laughs> failure fun uh in a way that I've never really thought about in a game before. Like you can mess up and you will mess up and you can you can do whatever you want. You can you can quick save and then load and then try again, but it's so much more fun if you just go, well, I'm not good at this, so I'll try it and if it doesn't work, it's going to be a funny scene, then I'll find another workaround. Um and I'm just finding out now there's there are so many different ways to complete the game as well as just like playing through it. Like you can you can completely ignore the body if you want to. If you want to just like go out the back, maybe set the tracks. You can you can just do that. You don't have to look at the body at all. Yeah, apparently um, that was a new achievement that they had with yeah, the final yeah. cut, which is solve the murder without inspecting the body. That's what I'm going to try to do. Yeah. I'm in. Like, I'm try that. <laughs> That's pretty. Uh, cool. What sort of what's what sort of cop did you end up as? Well, <laughs> at first I was the sorry cop because I was, I was a, a sorry cop. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then I was like, like sorry no, I'm not doing this. Yeah. and then I was just like, I really put my points into like empathy, um, and that. Again, that's again. It's so powerful. Like some of the the text that comes up when you're talking to people, it is just like it's emotional. You you're reading it and you're like, oh wow. Like I feel like I have a deeper understanding. It sounds really cringe, but like you read it and it makes you understand other people better as well. Did like, you? You're like, oh, I've seen that emotion before. Like I've seen people emote like that. I've been in this sort of situation where I thought that as well. It's just like mind blowing. That going back to the library card empathy pulls a lot of weight there it god there's like a few parts of that conversation that i screenshotted and it's just like man i'm gonna have man. to go back now you're gonna make me play it again james damn it i've just finished it took me um i want to say about 20 hours to do uh but i'll be down if i don't go for the platinum like i'm did you, you go know, i'm in um here's another question did you go into the church Yes, I I turned that church into a cool place. That's all I'll say. <laughs> uh, like, uh, yeah. Before we move on, like, I just want to say that if you're if you're starting to develop like a like a, a craving for this kind of stuff, like if you ever want to like go back and like get like a similar experience with a different game, like definitely check out Planescape Torment because the, like Disco Elysium is a spiritual successor of that game in, in, in a very true sense, and like that's kind of like. The originator for this kind of stuff and i still really hold that game in high regard and it's it's a it's a different you know place different characters but the the way it's told is very it's very similar yeah i could i can definitely get on board with more like this um that's one of the amazing things about my time at rpg site sounds like i'm leaving but it's like <laughs> since i started here i've played so many types of games i mean i might have played disco elysium anyway because of like word of mouth but because specifically we can talk about it. I really wanted to go for it. And now, like, same with Hades, I've got, like, a, a game for life, a game I really, really care about. Um, and that's just awesome. So, yeah, like, I'd definitely be up for trying more like this. It's a hard game to sell, for sure. But hopefully, like, I feel like maybe in this discussion, we've done that a little bit. I want to go back and replay it. Like, yeah, we now should, that we've definitely. talked about it here. But give it, a, give it a month. That's all I'll say. Give it a month and it'll be <laughs> 10 out of 10. It's okay, Brian. The PC version's in a good enough state. You can replay it now. No, I don't. I don't. I don't want good enough. I want like good. So I'll, I'll, I can wait for a few months. 
Uh, well, I'm so, like, I'm also not to get off topic a bit, but there's enough games releasing now, starting in April, that I'm kind of like, when will I earmark time for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel that as well. Like the the replays that I want to do, I'm like, I'm looking ahead. I'm like, oh, Nier's coming out. You know, maybe don't get too yep. deep. Uh, so the second game I've played, which I have less of a fond opinion of, but I guess that's inevitable when I think so highly of Disc Elysium, uh, is Oddworld Soulstorm. Uh, it's free on PlayStation Plus. Um, if you haven't played an Oddworld game, they're kind of... Well, they're not kind of. They're 2D puzzle platformers, uh, and they are brutally hard. And this is free for so only PS5 owners, right? Or PlayStation Plus? Is, is, or is it yeah, yeah. PS4 only PS5. Uh, okay. PS4 players can buy it and get a free upgrade. Obviously, that's not quite the same. It's like you can buy it and then get it on other consoles. Not as cool as getting it for free, but it is worth it. I, I would say like it's definitely worth buying. Uh, I'm gonna keep playing it now that i finished disco elysium but it's it's it is really good and the platforming stuff is all really really good but so far and from what i've read i don't think it does justice to some of the themes and the story of like even abe's exodus which is what it's based off like there's there's a lot less they, they downplay the themes a lot so in abe's exodus like they drink this Soulstorm brew and essentially like they get it for free and it hooks them and they're basically stuck in this like endless cycle of working to feed that addiction to the to the drink and then it turns out the drink is actually made of like the bones of their own relatives so they're they're basically like becoming cannibals for this drink like it's like it's a commentary on loads of different social themes i'm not going to get into it but like the way it's presented is really really dark and then from what i've played a soulstorm so far it's not really recognizing that it's put it more as like a a background theme and I, I don't know it just it doesn't hit as hard then um i think the dialogue's a little clunky uh the game itself is just generally like a little bit clunky um but it is it is still really awesome um i'm just is it I, a different developer or is it the same no same developer it's just hmm. it's it's had a rough development but you can tell um apparently like you could, you've going through the game's files. You can see like a lot has been changed within a year, and they've always said it's not it's not a remake of Abe's Exodus. It's instead like a sequel to New and Tasty. So it's like it's not supposed to be a ground like a, a remake. It is a really really different game, but just there are certain elements of it I would have liked to have seen carried over, done differently, but like carried over. Um, I haven't finished it yet though. So right now my thoughts on it are kind of like. They're, they're completely underdeveloped because I've obviously all my brain power's gone into Disco Elysium. Um, so next week, I imagine I'll be like, oh, Oddworld's the best, or Oddworld's okay, or Oddworld's the worst. Well, you know, we'll see. Um, the so three you guys opinions. The only opinions. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you guys have been waiting to hear this, but um, on, the, on the Google Doc, we write out what we've been playing, and after Soulstorm, I put that I've made a very bad life decision um which sounds very dramatic so josh did the same last week no 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 oh <laughs> i already <laughs> did that um i started to re-download drumroll please marvel's avengers uh -oh. i don't know why i did it yeah. I know. <laughs> chaos uh i don't know what it is i was i was just thinking about it like i was thinking about it like you think about an ex from years ago you're like oh i wonder how that's doing and i was like oh no i oh, know I've, I've whipped out my phone i'm about to like about to download Marvel's Avengers again, and it's it's just started. Um, 
I don't know. I feel like the PS5 version or what what version are you downloading? Sadly, I have to download both so I can add my save to the cloud. Yeah, don't don't get me started. It's so ass. Uh, What a mess. Are you excited again? Kind of weirdly, yeah. Like I saw that they were having I don't I don't know why this did it, but they they're offering a superior Iron Man skin like on the store. <laughs> I say offering like you have to you have to pay for it. But I saw that and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll waste five hours downloading two games. Like why not? Let's do it. Um, but I, I've always said I when when I I pushed for us to cover Mars Avengers, and then as soon as the review was done, I was like, yeah, I'm not I'm not bothered anymore. Uh, and then they've released two updates to it, and they've changed quite a lot and. Overall, like I heard, like pretty positive stuff about it. Besides, like the player base, like it, it has probably improved as a game. So I kind of want to do it, do it some justice. Yeah, they added your um, two favorite superheroes last player. time. They added girl Hawkeye and boy Hawkeye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I love that! Like start with Hawkeye. That's what that's what everyone wants. Yeah. Um, I, I've always wanted to re-download it for Black Panther, and obviously that's not coming until probably next year now, but. You know, I want to give it another go. I want to. I want to see what's different. Uh, so maybe next week again. It's it's not done yet. My my wife. Maybe I'll still be downloading by, by by that by next week. You don't know yet. Maybe <laughs> like that fifty percent, guys. It's almost yep. there. It's like one hundred twenty gigabytes, <laughs> which just feels criminal for Marvel's Avengers. Especially yeah. for, for for limited PS five space. It's like, uh, well, maybe it's, it's not worth it. Yeah, I might I might I might get like two seventy percent. Go ah. Uh, I won't bother, but I thought I'd let you know that it suckered me back in for a second. Oh, good luck. I, I, okay, I don't actually know what to say. I'm happy for you, or I'm sorry that happened. It can be both. It can be both. <laughs> You're an easy man to please. Give, uh, just dangle an Iron Man skin and <laughs> on to the races. Uh, sorry, it's the superior Iron Man outfit. Thank you very much. It does look cool, though. It does look very cool. <laughs> All right, no, thank you for kickstarting the talk on uh, Disco Elysium, and sorry we had to end it on Marvel. But uh, <laughs> moving on, let's go over to uh, to James. Since you already talked a little bit about Disco Elysium, uh, but you also have a few other games on here that we haven't talked about yet. I'll wait to talk about Outriders once uh, Josh talks about it, because <laughs> that just makes uh. sense. Um, so... I played Ratchet and Clank, the PS4 game, because it got a PS5 patch, and I've been looking awesome for. Game. I've been looking for a reason to play my PS5, and I just got a 4K monitor, so it's like, hey, this this is something that might be fun, and it is. Uh, not much to say about it. If you've played a Ratchet and Clank game, you know what to expect. It's it looks really good. Like they they pulled out the 60 FPS PS5 patch really well. Like I watched a digital foundry on it. I have it installed my PS5 before ready to go whenever. And it, it looks like a fun time. Like I think that's the the real bummer about um after the the PS2 era ratcheting clanks when they decided to make the move to just develop them at 30 FPS. I'm like, that's not ratcheting clank in my head. Like ratcheting clank clank has to be in 60 FPS to really sell me mm-hmm. on it. It's one of those like weird games. It's like it just looks so much better in motion, especially for like the Pixar-esque graphics that they're going for. But like, it just—it's hard for me to play that game at a frame rate less than sixty. So I I'm do really remember several years ago now. It was kind of funny that Insomniac almost like made a declaration like our games will be thirty FPS going yeah. forward. Yeah, that was, was like, a decade was like, ago after Ratchet yeah. and Clank: A Crack in Time. 
Yeah, it was just it's just kind of weird. It was, it was just a weird thing to declare at the time, you know? It's just okay. Kraken Time is also the best Ratchet and Clank game. I think that's universally agreed upon. But I will say this, not to piggyback off, not to take over your section, James, but gameplay-wise and looks-wise, I think I've said this before, I'm, I'm definitely repeating myself, but it is one of the best Ratchet and Clank games, 2016. But story-wise, it is a pile of shit, and I hate oh, it. Oh yeah, totally. It's like, it does not get Ratchet and Clank. I mean, thank God Rift Apart is based off the old continuum, let's just say that. Mm. It's like all this, like you can tell playing through this that all of the weird story decisions were because, oh, well, this is how it is in the movie, and this is a yep, movie tying yep. game, and it was a budget release. It was like 40 bucks at launch. It's like it's still a good Ratchet and Clank game. You just gotta ignore the story. Just hit skip on every cutscene that plays. I had yeah. like, I had like flushed the Ratchet and Clank movie, like, out of my brain. Like, until just now, I had, like, mm-hmm. completely forgotten that that had happened. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> still, I still haven't watched it. Like, I heard bad things about it, and I was like, mm, I like Ratchet and Clank too much to put myself... But yeah, um, game's good. Uh, I will say that uh, the HDR implementation is pretty nice. That's also something I got to check out with my monitor. Um, it's, uh... A lot of fun. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to go for the Platinum Trophy because there's a lot of grinding out like weapon levels. And it's like, uh, I, I remember like the last Ratchet and Clank game I really went for like 100% on was I think Size Matters on the PSP. But that's because it was like during a period of my life where my PS3 was broken for like several months and I didn't have anything really to play besides my PSP. So I was like, I'm going to squeeze every last drop out of this game if it kills me. <laughs> Oh, size matters as well. Dang. I think my first PSP model was the, I don't know if it was a Daxter or Clank game that that, that was like bundled with like a silver PSP. Daxter's okay. awesome. It was like, the PSP Slim Daxter bundle. I remember. That's the okay. one that I got too. Yeah. Um, it was like the metallic silver one. And right. it was, it was, Daxter was a good game, but we're talking mm-hmm. about Ratchet Clank. Uh, I actually did like Size Matters. It's obviously not as good as the console ones, but I feel like it had pretty good level design. It had a decent enough story. It's, I think it has some of the best Clank sec- uh, segments of any of the games. I'll say that much. Yeah, I, def- I think I'm a bit of an elitist with Ratchet and Clank. Like, I, I heard myself then, like, what a snob, because I was just about to, like, slag off Secret Agent Clank as well. I was like, oh, that's a, that's a pile of oh, yeah, see- like, oh, yeah, Secret Agent like Clank is bad. <laughs> Secret Agent Clank, bad, yeah. well... It's good for one playthrough, but never again. Yeah, that's uh, what I said about Off One as well. Yes, uh, Man, Size I, I Matters. I don't like some games. <laughs> Size Matters is a legitimately good Ratchet and Clank game. I will say mm. that it's probably better than 2016. Shocker, but uh, yeah. Um, Whoa. I will say I did like the. Uh, it's been a while since I played the original, so I'm not sure if the how, well. How much of how much of a difference the hoverboarding segments are in 2016, or if even there was ones in the original, but the hoverboarding races were actually plenty of fun in 2016. I'll say that. Uh, probably was a lot easier in 60 FPS versus uh, 30 FPS. <laughs> but um, yeah, I kind of been waiting for uh, Rift Apart because that's like one of the major reasons I got a PS5 at launch and they said oh it's going to be launch window and it's like oh no it's actually coming out in June 
Yeah, I wonder if it's gonna like. I feel like everyone's just taking bets these days on that game. It's like, is that the next game to be announced to be delayed? It feels like any day now if they're gonna do it. Yeah, I think so. And Don't it's breathe. weird because like they keep they keep tweeting stuff from just like the only bit of footage they've showed like they're tweeting yeah, like, yeah, it's weirdly, yeah it's weirdly like we don't really know much about that game besides the initial like tribute the debut trailers that's the it's thing. two months away like I, I think someone tweeted something out there about and signing an nda so they can't talk about it so i presume there's previews coming but like if, if you turn around to me tomorrow and said yeah it's delayed till we, October, we yeah. still don't know the uh, the woman protagonist's name do we nope rose it's is gonna be ribbit say. Rivet. Oh, no, Rose. The, 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 the last one I heard was Ra- Ratchet. That, that's like the only one I heard. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who made that up. But I was like, I, but if you told me that was the, the the name, I was like, you know what? I believe that. What even is a launch window anymore? <laughs> Just a mm-hmm. launch year and a half. Yep. Which, given what 2020 was, I don't know if we can scowl too too fiercely at that. But hey, even if Ratchet and Clank gets delayed, uh, Returnal has officially gone gold. Woo! Yeah, it's not yeah. that. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I'm saying like I would probably like playing that game. I just, as we all said again and again, it's like, is it really launching at seventy dollars? Is that still real? I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, games that I don't know, probably should have been delayed. Maybe should have been delayed. Who knows? Um, you, you want to talk a little bit more about Outriders games? Yeah. Um, for mm-hmm. a game that's as unexceptional as Outriders, it's honestly fascinating that I want to play it so much, and yet it doesn't want me to play it. <laughs> He, okay, so yeah, uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, last podcast. I finished up the main campaign in it. Uh, I primarily did it. Yeah, I, I only played the main campaign solo because of all the server issues last week. Uh, and still, is not, not, there's less server issues and more. We'll get into it. Um, the, the campaign itself, um, it's not really a great game when you're talking about everything else but the gameplay the core gameplay is pretty good um but like i'm sorry james i had to break your heart because uh james uh and i have been talking about this he's like that spider boss uh at, at the volcano part was like really good i'm like yeah like uh, i really dug that and then uh, no other boss has really reached that height high of highs in that game um so so every oh, other no. <laughs> yeah like all the other bosses after this kind of like insignificant uh relatively speaking the final boss is actually a really annoying because the, the final phase of that last boss fight is very different from the layout of the game like uh, uh, throughout the game you're uh, in each combat arena is usually littered with like cover places the last phase of that final boss fight is very much not that and it has a very specific enemy configuration along with the final boss that like makes it difficult to manage it like depending on your class and build so i had to really think about how to push through that i had to eventually bump down the world tier uh just one less than i was i think i was like world tier 12 i beat it and like it's like it's okay the way it ends is very a very non-ending i would say it's it's a more of a justification of why you know you go into post-game uh grind so after you beat the main campaign 
you open up this new feature in the game, the post game called Expeditions. And Expeditions work a lot like Diablo 3's Greater Rift system, where you uh, go into a stage and like these stay at like there's like a maybe about a dozen like zones you can warp to. And like and they're all different, like in uh similar environments that you encounter the main campaign, but like they're different layouts, like the the way they're configured, the arenas that you're actually fighting in, they're configured differently from what you see in the main campaign. And there are some like unique bosses that only emerge from uh, expeditions. But it's very much, hey, you start this and you try to beat it as fast as possible. You go in, here's a combat arena, you beat this combat arena, next combat arena, you beat that. And then um, the, the last one, usually three or four in, there's a boss. And then you be, uh, you beat that as fast as possible, and all the loot that you get from it it comes at the end, and you're ranked by how fast you beat it. There's like bronze, silver, and gold, and I don't know exactly what determines what challenge tier you start off at. As like I started off at challenge tier five, and you know, but you can bump it up or uh, uh, bump it down if it's too much, and then that'll go up to fifteen levels until challenge tier fifteen, and then you know that's a yeah. As you're doing that, uh, you're bumping it up or pushing it up. Yeah, obviously, enemy stats get inflated, um, but the loot, the quality of loot that you get is better because their item levels are significantly better. Like, say your main character level caps out at thirty, but then like you know your item levels can go at the level forty, level forty-one, all the way up to level fifty, and then you know challenge tiers affect that and whatnot. Um, it's it's okay, like for. You know, it's not a service game like uh, they've been pushing and uh, advertising as much as possible. So, getting on that loot grind at the end of, at the end of the game is like if that's for you, it's it's a decent you know implementation of like what to do after the game to really push uh, to feel powerful uh, and whatnot. And then you can obviously replay the entire game at any point if you want to like take your powerful loot and then go back to like the main story and like max out your world tiers and that and then you know and you can like remake or, or make other characters and like try other classes and then go through all that grind again and whatnot if that's for you so it's like it's okay like it's fine i think you know the main barrier that james and i uh always push against this game um since last week is the the technical issues are still rampant like the servers have stabilized, so this is an all, always online game. So even if you're playing single player, it can still boot you off, and then you're unable to play. Um, those have stabilized significantly, but there's still uh, multiplayer issues across the board. They recently pushed out a patch, you know, that uh, tries to get crossplay up and working. I haven't tried it for myself yet. I want to see later on uh, with some friends if that's all working. The the only thing that's making me hesitant is now that a lot of people are reporting that ever since this new patch came out to, to try and resolve those crossplay issues a lot of people's inventories are and like equipment on their oh, character no. wiped just flat uh, out wiped it's like the worst thing that can happen exactly so it's like uh, uh, uh i, I want to jump in here because i don't know okay. if my brain is just rotted but like Sure. I've heard you say just now and last week this game is not a service game. And I'm trying to like straighten that out in my head because we've compared it to like Diablo 3, which is a service game. It's always online. Diablo 3 is not, okay, Diablo 3 is not exactly like, a, service, a service game in the sense in terms like there's no dailies, there's no like daily login bonus or like 
or or like hey there's like a, a seasonal event type stuff i guess i guess in the diablo 3's uh, instance there's like ladder seasons yeah there are seasons. i don't know if this will have like seasons but like so if you count so that. is the end game going to be expanded on or is it kind of like it is what it is and it's I all there i have no idea and, th- and this is the weird part about it is this game is largely i mean this game is like you can play through single player, you can play with friends. There's no competitive aspect to it. It's always co-op cooperative. Um, there's like no online leaderboards, and like and the weird part is that people who can fly the developers. Of this game have recently over the past uh, week have issued like balance changes to it because there were certain like builds that like really um, outshined the other like skill trees for each class. Or even like devastated the devastator of the class is like vastly like it's been like as people have been playing more and more of this game, it's like devastator of the class is like being outshined by every other class because every other class have like these um abilities or the skill tree that really enhances their their ammo, their bullets to have a, a way to like basically play it more like a shooter where they're not really making the most out of like their tools, but like making it so they they put their guy to this enhanced mode where they can like refill their ammo infinitely. And like that's the that's the build and like they they really focus on damage and refill their ammo like organically without re- reloading and whatnot. And instead of like buffing the other trees available for each class or make or making like or even devastator like you know more powerful to like be on par with them. Like the the recent balance patch for this, and it's weird because like it's not a service game, but that there's still balance patches in a, like a non-competitive game that even has like no online leaderboards or whatnot. But like they've made it so that they've um, nerfed like the technomancer and the trickster classes, so they can't. So it makes that build sort of harder for them, and the pyro class has been largely unaffected by this. But at the same time, those uh, challenge tiers, like the times, the bronze, silver, gold, they've made those times tighter, so it's even harder to get gold on some of the maps there. And like, it's kind of like it's, it's it's a weird thing to like balance things and nerf things in like a non-competitive game, and like really forcing people. It feels like a, a a reaction to a problem that isn't there essentially because. It feel that when you read the patch notes and you think about like how the game is structured, it reads more like that people can fly is more concerned that like, oh, people are getting to the end of the end game too fast. What should we do to like put a band-aid on this real fast? Let's just make everything harder without uh but putting into consideration that, you know, for example, um enemies at that at that late game really you're kind at some respect, you're kinda hindering yourself if you're playing with others because of the multiplayer scaling. Enemies Get scaled insanely high when you play with like the max three players. And it's like, it makes that even much more harder compared to playing by yourself, for example. And instead of making more builds viable for that end game to have cooler like synergies with one another, like they're just kind of like just making, making it so it's harder for everyone and no one's really, uh, everyone's being frustrated on top of all these tech issues of inventories being wiped. Who knows if crossplay is actually working now or not. So, like this game's like it's such a weird state because if I were to review this game right now, I have no idea like what a how to even address its flaws because these flaws are so temporary or in the moment, but it feels bad and like 
and you don't actually know if it's going to get better or worse depending on how if people can fly either like admits that like you know maybe we went too far with this and it'll become a better game like we say in a month or it'll just like continue to get you know worse and worse like uh from where it is right now it's it's such a it's so weird like and and but at the same time like you were saying like being confused about whether this is a service game or not on paper they said it's not a service game so i don't actually know if they're gonna add like more content to it as moving forward or this is it or or this is just the state of the game and just like uh, having a tug of war with the developers of like making the end game more fun versus more punishing versus more challenging etc and all these elements that uh largely exist in service games being in this game as well if that makes sense it does. It's just that it seems like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too, where they're like, it's not a service game because we don't want the stigma of that, but but we want to support it sort of like one. Like we yeah. want to have the facade of one, but we're going to cut out the bad parts and only leave the good parts or like something like, is that, is that possible? It's, I don't know if you can just treat it like a, like a jigsaw puzzle quite like that. Yeah. It's uh, who, who knows? Like, on, on paper, if everything, like, worked fine, like, just even being able to, like, play with friends, like, when I played the demo of this game, it felt perfectly serviceable and doable. It was fine. There was everything was there. Obviously, when they scaled up and when it came to Xbox Game Pass and who knows how other many players are in every other platform for this game and doing this ambitious, everyone can play with each other uh, through crossplay type of deal from day one, it's... It's a lot of growing pains, and I kind of—I mentioned this at the last podcast, but I could kind of understand that like they weren't expecting this much, like, popularity. But at the same time, did this this game this game came out at the at the best time when there's like it's a relatively dry period for games, so uh, that's why a lot of people people have been talking about this. But it also came out at a time where they can't support they couldn't support like the potential player base this this has now right like i imagine they had um expectations like okay this is like what we expect the server population to be this uh what we expect you know how many people are playing this and then that just i imagine just blew them away and now we're stuck in a weird period where even even where we're like over a weekend and it's still like i don't know some people can play this some people can't some people are having issues some people say they're not having issues but they really are um it's weird it's weird man like i i what really... is what is your plan i guess then for outriders like what are you gonna like what, what do you say what do you see as your finish line i want to uh, try out cross play with friends who are like they're they're very much at the end of the end game but like still want to perfect their builds i want to try it out and see what happens there, whether we get the inventory white bug or not, that seemingly a lot of people on social media have been talking about uh, and hoping for the best that it doesn't happen to us. And I, you know, I do want to write a review for this game because I think it is it is an interesting game, but I have to really think it, uh, think about, like, when should I write this review? Because right now, at this very moment in time, we're expecting, yeah, we're expecting like a patch next week or just a, a upcoming week rather, um, where it'll supposedly fix a lot of the multiplayer crash is issues. I think, 
um the 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 patch that came out uh, a few days before this podcast was for rebalancing like you know those builds and whatnot and nerfing a lot across the board um so i don't i'm not exactly sure like what my plan is for this game until i get a better sense of like how stable this game will be i guess in a week which is such a weird thing to say <laughs> but granted we were hoping that it would be staple unstable well, this this time this week yeah yeah and i, I guess uh, before i forget I, I do have to issue an apology to james because we, we had our wires crossed uh mis- miscommunicating last week in terms of like legendaries in this game legendaries in this game only have two slots which gives us getting at what my what i was getting mixed up with is, with is legendaries have two slots but there are they have access to third uh tier three mods which are like the really powerful ones and that's where i think our wires got crossed so just just clarifying an error like a like a, a legit error from last week uh, we were talking about it legendaries do not have three mod slots they have two mod slots but they come equipped with uh, a tier three mod uh, on them when you get them. Yeah. Any other final words about outsiders? Uh, is outriders or outsiders? <laughs> I can't. Remember. It's outriders. outriders. I do want to say outsiders. outsiders. Yeah. yeah, I, I wanna. Maybe, I maybe I'll still have enough time to uh, finish up my playthrough by the um, before uh, the Monster Hunter Rise patch hits, and I can. Yeah. Kind of. This is going to sound. Uh, cross, but so I can kind of forget Outriders exists. <laughs> yeah, dude. I I'm just thinking like in, in if this if this game launched like without all these issues aside, like it, I I'm sure it would have been like a, a hell of a game to play. But now it has its first impressions are everything, and this game will probably be remembered as like one of the rougher launches, um, in this period because I don't know if this game has legs like two three six months from now i don't know if it'll have that if if this is the current state of the game like in terms of like end game and this is all you do till the end of time and there's no more additional content added to it which is fine you know but the, then it's just like kind of like a come and go game and, you know it was it was right for this time this time period where nothing really else is coming out but you know it's it's i don't know if i'll remember this game in a year either all right, I think, is there only a... Did that finish up what James had been playing? And Josh, other than the last thing you've been holding back? I think so. Unless uh, James had any final thoughts on uh, out, Outriders. <laughs> did I confuse you? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I will say that the story in... Out, well, I feel like the story in Outriders is maybe a little bit better than we were giving it credit for. It doesn't take itself seriously, but... It's very clear that a lot of the uh, it's very intentional. Everything it's doing, let's just say that it, it's 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 self aware as it's it's a it's very much a B movie. So it's not like yeah. it's not like it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. Yeah, it does what it needs to do, but it's also clumsy enough to not be enjoyable as well. In the sense that, like, even like cutting choreography, as like you know, when it turned. Like you get there's a sh- there's an inherent shaky can to it that you can turn off. It reminds like Huggle, but like okay. but like there there but there's a lot of like scenes that like have like weird awkward panning to like action shots that it's like uh, okay all right sure. It 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 kind of feels like they were almost trying to like mimic what 
Kojima did with uh, Metal Gear Solid 5, but weren't able to manage it <laughs> nearly as well. <laughs> I, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, but... I will say, though, that completely random, there was this one side quest that stood out to me where you get it from Trenchtown, so it's like we're still fairly early on in the game, and you have to investigate what happens as one a woman that apparently, quote unquote, was abducted, and then you just find them, and turns out, no, they're just a bickering married couple now, <laughs> and there's no enemies to fight, nothing. It's just like you see the cutscene, quest complete. Yeah, so, so yeah, so, yeah, so, so yeah, some of the side quests uh, are, are pretty amusing. Like, uh, the, the, they're well, a, a lot, a majority of them are largely like the same in how, how you progress to them, and like. Oh, you go to the side quest area, the zone. You fight off these enemies, and you either find something or retrieve something for the person. But there are some surprising ones like that. It's like, oh, this is it. Okay, cool. And that leaves us with the game I've been playing alongside uh, Josh, I believe. Yeah. So uh, I have put about ten hours into Fantasian from Mist Walker and Sakaguchi and Umatsu, and I know that you've also put in slightly more than that. I think you're a little bit ahead of me. Uh, I don't want to like color your interpretation with mine. <laughs> so, uh, how do you feel about it so far? I think it's pretty. It, it's charming. It's very. Uh, I was I'm enjoying it, it quite a bit. Yeah, like, I, I am too. Like so, so a little bit of background here. Uh, well, we did we talk about this last week about you getting the uh, mm -hmm. the Apple yeah. TV to play yeah. this and the uh, Platinum game. And then you were streaming it, and we were, and I was watching it. And then I like went ahead and went on my iPhone and got my free month, my trial month of Apple Arcade, and started playing it uh, on Monday. So like a few days after last week's podcast, and I'm enjoying it quite a lot. It feels I, I don't want to like repeat all the same language that we use for Bravely Default, where it's like, oh, it's nostalgic, oh, it's classic. But I like I don't want. I'm trying to like my vocabulary is only so. It's it's, it's 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 very it's very much captures the essence of a PS1 JRPG in a very endearing sense. Um, it's it's not like oh th this feels dated. It's more like it feels quaint. It feels something familiar, even though it's something new, and and it it does just enough to like it makes you feel at home, but at the same time does enough to like kind of switch things up. Um, it feels a lot like the game that I think of when I play this is Final Fantasy VIII. Like, not mm -hmm. in terms of story, but in terms of presentation, in terms of just what the game feels like to play, I, f I, f I think of Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah. I think... Yeah, I, I think you're right. You're, you're on the you're on the spot. Uh, the art style way. is a bit different, but it's like the, 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 the... Obviously, we've talked on previous podcasts about how they created the dioramas for this, which basically serve as the replacement for pre-rendered backgrounds, or they effectively became the pre-rendered backgrounds. So you got like these fixed camera angles. So whenever you're traveling through a dungeon or a city, like the 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 perspective that you have will shift as you as your character moves throughout, uh, which is kind of similar to like the in my head right now is just the lamb garden as the camera slowly follows squall as he runs across the, you know, the front of the, this giant building, but then we'll change the perspective as he goes to the rear. Yeah. It also reminds me of resident evil though. The, the more like, as I play more of that too, it more, to me, it more closely resembles resident evil than final fantasy eight when it comes to the camera tilt shift, because uh, the, the camera is much more up close in resident evil. And, and this game uh has focuses more on like near camera movement 
while in Final Fantasy VIII, it's more it's more wide, it's more wide open spaces. Yeah, and it doesn't and the camera in Fantasian doesn't pan as much. It's it's it pans a little bit as you go across different screens, but usually instead it'll just change your perspective entirely once you're in a different region of the of a city block or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I. So when I, I first started this game on Monday, it starts out pretty slow. Like you start out with like one party member through a tutorial dungeon, then you get a second and the, it, the combat's still pretty simple, but it, it kind of just keeps ramping. Like you get different party members and they have different abilities and access to different elements, which actually played a much bigger role than I expected it to. I, I bet you, where, where, where are you specifically right now? Oh, I just got my warping capability restored. Okay. So. Okay. So early on in the game, well, maybe not early on, a few hours in, you get the ability to warp. Uh, and you can kind of go anywhere to like revisit dungeons or whatever, but there's not a ton to do. And eventually, through story reasons, you lose that ability. And then later in the game, you kind of reclaim it. And it's a bit by that point, you're stronger. It's a little bit more open. And that's kind of where I just got to. So you already have, um, you've already met, not, not the initial two party members, but the other two party members. Yes, I, I, okay. I've met party members four and five, basically. Okay. Yeah. So it's also weird because like like you don't the, the way that like you meet party members in this game is actually pretty interesting because like you don't want to spoil like who they are and how you met them because they're they're all pretty like oh that's a party member and this is where I get them this is how I met them and it's one of those things that like little moments that you don't want to spoil for others because it, it kind of it has that special like moment around it it's like oh that's cool this is what they do this is how we met up uh, and go for it my main takeaway like if i i kind of have a few things that i want to touch off touch on on this game while we have the chance here but my main takeaway like the first thing that, that's gonna roll out of my mouth is it feels well balanced which might sound weird talking about a single player classically designed turn-based rpg but every single time I get into a boss encounter, I just feel like they knew exactly what the player because I guess I guess maybe that's by design because I haven't actually ever been to a point yet where I can swap out my party members. It's always been like at this point in the game, at this point in the story, you've access to you know these three characters. And but every single boss fight I get to, it's like here's a golem that has two arms that you can destroy. And like, all right, I'm gonna use the strategy and destroy the arms before I focus the head. And then like the arms do a shit ton of damage as he like pummels you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like having to like make sure my health is topped off to get put all the proper buffs and debuffs on. And then I I destroy the arm as soon as like the turn or a few turns before it really would have become a problem. Or that there's this other boss that has kind of like this Final Fantasy X chocobo eater strategy where he's trying to like push you off a cliff. Oh, and, yeah. and like by the time I realized kind of like what the strategy was there, like what you do to counteract that. He had like pushed me a few times. I had a couple pushes left, and like I felt like the tension was there. It was real. It wasn't a pushover, and but I made it through. And then there was later bosses where they all have other different strategies. Like there's this other there's this other boss where uh, his positioning is, uh, I guess, positioning in general is a key component of this game. It's not just front row, back row, like Final Fantasy VI or or whatever, but weapon attacks will have either they'll either drill through enemies or they'll arc or they'll like lob as an aoe and so both both regular battles and boss encounters will take advantage of that 
And like, it's just so smartly made where I haven't ever gone into a boss fight and been like, that's it. Like walk through it. Like, no, there's a, there's a decent level of challenge. I've never like wiped, but I'm mm -hmm. constantly thinking, adjusting, using the tools given to me, like a hive access to this character. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of like close moments. It's like, oh man, like what, like there's not a wasted turn. It's like, if I make the wrong decision on this turn, it could probably be the end of this fight. You know? Can I play devil's advocate very briefly? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I've heard from a couple of different places. Uh, one thing that seems to be maybe people are a little bit less hot on on the game may be that, quote, bosses are just too gimmicky. How do you feel about that? Like there's some specific uh, route you have to beat them. And if you don't do it that way, then you can't. I've never played it. So that's why I'm devil's advocate here. I can see why you would say that. But I just. Hmm. Because, like, for instance, the golem that I talked about, I feel like you would have a really tough time if you didn't, if you decided, I don't want to destroy his arms, I just want to take it on his head. Like, is it a gimmick where, like, that's the design intent, where that you have to DPS down his arms and then his head? Or there's another there's another boss that uh, has a tail instead, or whatever. Or this other boss that rotates between being close to the party and farther away from the party. Maybe it's slightly gimmicky, but... It's, I think it's done it's in a, a way where it forces you to change your it change it forces you to change your strategy. It's not just the boss deals dude, as much damage. I deal this not, much damage. Not just do I, do I, as much damage as you can as fast yeah. as you can. <laughs> yeah. Right? So it, I, there is a nugget of truth to that, but I don't ever feel like oh I'm I'm just handcuffed. The, oh I have to do this on this turn and this on this turn. It kind of it, it, it's kind of like a route is given to me, but I choose how I want to go down it. Yeah, it's not. It's not like it's not like everything is like machine fabricator or predetermined. It's like, oh, like uh, like if I if I run this boss battle through a script, always doing this, then like, of course, that was the intended outcome, and whatnot. I I don't think I think it's less rigid than that. I, I feel like the it really does give you uh, give players enough like freedom in a sense to like kind of tackle it the way they want, even though even though like the answers are in front of you. Like the way you you get there is like it's kind of up to you in a sense. I think so here's I, two. Ex go for it. I have kind of two examples that I think kind of are my counter argument to Adam's devil's advocate ar argument. There's this one boss who basically every few turns will put up like a bed of spikes, which you have to be able to attack through or around to get to the boss. And then the boss will do an attack depending on how many spikes are still standing. So I guess there's two ways you can tackle that, or at least two that I can think off the top of my head. You can either use uh, Leo, the main character, to do basically line attacks to try to drill through those spikes before this big attack comes. What I tried to do is I, I, had, this, I had this character who uses like a bunch of bombs and items try to lay a charge bomb that will detonate as soon as the spikes go up. Like that was my strategy. Someone else might decide to use like an AoE or a spell arc. Yeah, I, I mainly I mainly use grenades for that character. I didn't use the time bomb. I used the the grenades. Right. Oh, so yeah. like there's like there's a there's a gimmick there, but how you tackle it depends on the player. And then there's another boss that basically alternates between like a damage phase and a uh, like a recuperation phase. So when you have when you're when you're not dealing much damage to the boss, I was focusing on lowering his attack and raising my defense. But you could also like use abilities like concentrate and charge to increase your critical rate or your That's me. charge That's ability. <laughs> like so, there's a route there, but you're gonna you can kind of uh, do it different ways. Uh, but I just always felt like what uh, Josh said. It's there's a lot of close calls. Like if I get through a boss fight and I have to use like 
one or two Phoenix Downs or Phoenix Feathers as they're called in this game. Called in this game. It almost feels like a failure because, like, oh, I let someone go down. But it also means, like, man, that was close. Like, like I actually had to think on my toes. It wasn't a cakewalk. I didn't just like use my strongest abilities and win. Like, I. But it also didn't feel cheap or it didn't feel like, man, I, I didn't have a chance there and I just barely eked it out on luck. Like, no, I I got through because I had the right idea, a strategy in mind, preparation. So, on a design intent, I, the game feels good to play. That was yeah. the first thing I wanted to say. Yeah. What was your second point? Uh, I guess if I wanted, I wanted to talk about just kind of like story and characters a little bit, but I don't want to mm-hmm. do it like with spoiling uh, too much. I guess for people who look at this game and they're like, oh, I just want it to come to PC or consoles or PlayStation. And I, I kind of know that feeling. I only lucked out because I happen to have an iPhone. And I know certain people who are like, going out to buy Apple 4K TVs or, or, or whatever. <laughs> so, and it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I like, I, I know that's kind of a stigma around this game is that it's such a limited window, an opportunity of who can play it. Because if you happen to be I, an Android phone and a Roku box, I don't know. <laughs> Do people still buy Rokus? I don't know. Yeah, uh, but uh, it still does that. But uh, like, and you just, you just don't have a choice. Like you, you literally want to play it, but you have no choice uh that's that's frustrating uh so i do hope i know apple is credited for this game uh in some respects so i don't know what that means in terms of possibility or potential uh but it is like a full it doesn't feel like an upskinned mobile game it feels like an rpg that released late for the ps1 this is definitely one of those (laughs) like I'm not going to say system seller, but I definitely felt better about what I did after playing this game. Like, was I did? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, someone. <laughs> compared to compared to like Platinum Games' World of Demons, which is definitely ha- has all the trappings of a gacha game, UI wise, progression wise, you can doubt you can tell that was retrofitted to not be one after the fact, but it's still structured much like one. So I'm less engaged with it. This one feels like a full-blown console rpg that um harkens to a bygone era essentially and what i really 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 dig about it is that it's it's one thing to really make the story about your game for the most part when you're marketing it about me how how you know unique the development was but this game manages to walk that walk too where you can clearly tell like how this game is very distinguishable it's very it stands out from the rest because of that of the way it was developed like the diorama environments really um make this game shine as you're going to each new area and you're visiting even like a room it's like oh this room is configured differently than the others like there's like special touches about this room that makes it like different from the other rooms and that was all handcrafted all hand placed there and that's what really is cool about it, especially when you're out and about and you want to go see, oh, where am I on this map? Well, your map screen is just that diorama they made. It just shows you a little marker of like, hey, here's your char- where your character is in this diorama environment. So you get to actually see like what people made. And like, and in some respects, when you're traveling around this game, it feels like you're like, uh, playing like an augmented reality RPG because you're you because you know that like what you're traveling around is like made from real materials uh, and was made like in in the real world. And that's like a really cool element to it there are the, it's it's not like infallible it's uh, there are definitely flaws with it there are sometimes 
where there's like a cutscene that's happening and they zoom in at part of the cutscene and like it zooms into like the diorama and they didn't like resample that image to like look crisp. It still looks like a blurry. It, it, it's it's there's a part of like dia, that diorama screenshot that was blurry and for that cutscene choreography to zoom in on that part it's like ah that kind of sucks but you know it, 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 it for the grand scheme of things it works out fairly well and then there are also times where that that di diorama collapses where sometimes leo will be, will be running around and he like overlaps part of that screenshot so like there's like a tip of this fence and then you move leo closer to that fence and his model just like like overtakes that that fences like presence essentially how right but it's it's easy to undersell what you told about the uh, diorama like map like it's it's such it seems like such a small thing but to me it actually kind of like i lingered on it a bit because we're so used to we're so ingrained to that you have like a map or a mini map and it basically shows you this is the playable space and this is not the playable space it feels like very digital like it makes you remind it reminds you that you're in a program which obviously you are you're playing a video game but the fact that he said, like, no, we're not just going to make like a two tone mini map and the playable space is light blue and the not playable space is dark blue or black. Like, it's just here is an image of the diorama. You can kind of look at the image and see where are the roads, where are the pathways, where are the buildings? Um, and it does ease you a little bit. Like, it'll put a little sword marker over where the weapon shop is, for instance. Like, it doesn't it doesn't like take away that. But it just like it is so unique and different. And I think that is just kind of commendable that it's it feels a little bit more diegetic in that way. Like this is and, what this this is what the city block looks like. And that, let's not forget also that like there's no voice act in this game, so the, mm -hmm. the music really stands out. Like Uematsu, music is great. This is one of Uematsu's like like really really like golden era works <laughs> from this game. Like the whole soundtrack has been just an absolute delight to listen to, and that's what's so important. And like I think much like how like you know when Adam and I speak about Nocturne and like how, how when we think about Nocturne, a lot of a lot of what we think about Nocturne is about the atmosphere and the mood and how the lack of voice acting really helped elevate that instance, that presence, especially the music in it, that I get the same feeling off of Fantasian where like, you know, the, the only sound effects you get when it comes to like dialogue is like the little like sc text scroll when people are talking. So it's kind of like a little chirp tune almost. But but there are there are a couple different chirps depending on like if someone's like reacting or if it has like a dot 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 because yes. they're thinking or they're looking at a treasure chest. So there's an it's there's enough there to kind of there's just enough there to sell you like you you end up just kind of like filling in the blanks with your with your mind's ear. Is that a statement instead of your mind's eye? Uh, <laughs> like I like like this game is actually really fun to read. It's not quite like Disco Elysium. It's a different thing, but like. The the way I can't speak to I can't speak to it in terms of localization because obviously I don't know what the original Japanese reads like, but just reading these characters, like I have a voice in my head for all of them, and they all have a manner of speaking, and not to the obnoxious extent like Charlotte and Charles Amana or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's but, actually one of the most important parts about just broadly localization in general is to have characters sound like individuals rather than like every single character kind of like speaks the same way, you know like that that's kind of a failure every single character just sounds like they talk it, not not in a, in a game without voice acting like if they just kind of sound like they all talk the same way with the same so style first, cadences and whatnot the first two characters that you get um are tina and cheryl and 
one of them was like raised in the forest, very like improper sort of not like improper, but like a common person. And the other one's up as a is a uh, royalty, essentially. And the game doesn't go overboard on this, but like the two characters spend a lot of time together and they do have very distinct manners of speaking, but they but they don't slap you over the head with it. It's not like the princess yeah. is like forsooth thy shall or whatever but she just like she uses more adverbs and longer sentences um and sort of things with other ones more just like more more she uses more exclamations like wow that's neat you know stuff like that like shorter little exclamations things like that and they just speak differently and because of that i have a different voice in my head for each of them uh and then you meet some other characters who have different backgrounds and upbringings of different ages as well uh so it's i think they did a great job uh, being ignorant to how the Japanese reads, but in English they it it's a it's a joy to read. Like one of my favorite interactions was so the main character has amnesia, like I told you, classically a classic JRPG. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she he has this device called a a warp. It's just warp drive, uh, warp something. It's like warp um, device. That's it. Yeah, he has and, a device called a warp device. Yep. <laughs> it's yeah, ba- and he basically says like he's talking to another character. And he says, I can warp to any place uh, I can remember. And he, the response he gets is like, well, considering the state of your memory, that's unfortunate. And he, and he, just, replies, <laughs> and he just replies, shut up. Like the very next thing out of his mouth is shut up. Like, it's just fun to read. Like, Leo is a kind of a fun character. He's maybe a little bland, but uh, he, you kind of grow into him as he gets more of his memories back and things like that. Uh, but it's like, they, they bounce off each other well. Um, there's what there are I- a few... Before, before before you move on, I just wanted to mention one of my favorite interactions. Uh, uh, like if you remember, like uh, probably in a recent part that you were in, like you're you're searching these tre- treasure chests that are all booby trapped, and there are mm-hmm. these three treasure chests. And then you open it and you open them up, and then you open like the the final one that emerges, and then like yeah, you go fight like you know the the real boss of that area from the booby traps. And then one of your party members is like. Uh, like this, this was all fabricated by uh, Leo. Like uh, as he's like regaining his memories and whatnot. Um, that they're like Leo. What, what happened to you? Why are they? Why are you booby trapped? Are you okay? Did someone hurt you? As you're as you're going through all these treasure chests that are all booby trapped. <laughs> it's like it's like it's so no, overly cautious and it's so funny. There are, there are a few things about the writing that aren't like I think the characterization is really good. The um some of the writing is a bit off. It's I don't want to say it's bad, but like for instance, one character, one of her character traits, Kina, is that she has a really strong sense of smell, which is kind of like, oh, that's different, but all right. But the game like kind of reminds you of it like once every hour, where it's like, this place smells friendly, or this place smells suspicious. (laughs) Just like other things that you can't normally detect with that sense (laughs) or whatever. And it's just kind of like, oh, that's a bit different, but I'm okay yeah, with it. Like even Leo and Kina's first meeting, it's like the only reason I held you is because you smell because you smell different, or like I, I like your smell. <laughs> it's like, all right, <laughs> all right. Uh, so it's yeah, and I think uh, the the thing that really it, it's still a mixed bag for me. Um, uh, the, being a Mistwalker game, they do have some uh, elements from previous titles like Lost Odyssey that are in in here. Like the that there are certain events that you uh, stumble across, or like when you're explaining like a background or something that happened, they uh, presented in the way that the Lost Odyssey's Thousand Year of Dreams was, where there's like a still image artwork and there's music flowing, and then there's like a scrolling text uh, flying through it, like a very visual novel esque style, uh, similar to that. And like there are certain like words in that in in those like you know instances where they're like a different size, a higher size. Uh, 
put emphasis on that word, but sometimes it reads very, very somewhat clumsy manner because, like, like for instance, like they'll say, like, um, the, there's you into this forest and say, like, this forest was filled with flowers, you know, and then flowers was like all like bigger than the rest of the text. It's, it doesn't really flow well with like the context of the scene. It's like, okay, there were flowers in this forest. You didn't have to emphasize that there were flowers in this forest. It's just it's just a weird way to emphasize it because in a thousand years of dreams, I don't think I any right, words were different sizes. Uh, yeah, they didn't do it with sizes. What they would do instead is, I think, if sometimes different words would fade in instead of scroll in, or they'd flip yeah. in, or I know they had some where they fell from the top of the screen into the sentence. Like they did That's different cool. ways to emphasize certain words, but in Fantasian, they just play with font, which is just and weird because it just sounds like any word that they want to emphasize with a font as you're reading it just sounds like it's shouted in your head, yeah. in my head. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a combination of both how they're emphasizing it. Just literally, it sounds almost kind of simple, but literally, just by making the emphasized words bigger, your mind just automatically thinks of that as shouting, and it, in the, even if it's like inappropriate <laughs> to like what it is. And then the other, I also feel like when I was watching Josh's stream, that sometimes it's like not how it's emphasized, but like why was this word even emphasized at all? Right. It's like it's just it's not a crucially interesting or important word here. So I don't know. It's a little so, bit awkward. Long story short, they're not as good as the Thousand Years of Dreams. I still think they're worthwhile because sometimes you'll have a scene that is displayed to you through this vignette visual novel style. And then you'll have an in-game cutscene later that like branches off of it or calls back to it or is just otherwise tied to it, which ends up making that stronger. So I do think they're worthwhile and useful. There's especially a scene later between uh kina and cheryl that i actually thought was done really well even though it had the possibility of being like really hackneyed and bad uh maybe i'll talk about it later when we can talk about the uh we, story we, more openly I, I feel like we need to do a spoiler cast or something for this game because yeah. i think both of us really want to talk about it at length but it's it's hard to talk about it like yeah, people need to play for themselves it's it's so yeah it's so, but i hope we're i hope we're giving the uh impression that this isn't like some at least as of the first 10 hours, which I know it's only like, it's like we're only the part one's available and I haven't reached the first, the end of part one yet. Yeah, um, but it's not, it doesn't really feel like it's paired back or like diluted. Like I'm sitting here trying to avoid story considerations because it has one and it has great characters and it reads well and it has fun, fun battle interactions. Yeah, uh, I, I guess we should also just like uh, briefly mention like there's a cool battle mechanic called the dimension battle in this <laughs> game where you know it's 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 kind of designed with mobile in mind, but it also really works well if you're just playing it as a as a like if you're playing it like down on a TV uh, where you're kind of storing random encounters. At, uh, early in the game, you'll get this device that lets you um, you flip it on. And then any character, any enemies that you've encountered before, it's not your first encounter with them. Um, if you, if that random battle trigger was to have en enemies that you've already fought before, they could be stored into this device and it'll hold initially up to thirty monsters at a time. And then, but you can activate it uh, at any time as long as there are monsters in there. So even below thirty, it's like a good way to like grind in one go. Like say, I don't want to do like. 10 to 15 different random battles separately. I just want to combine it all into one. 
So that's what this device lets you do that. You flip it on and you're transported to like an alternate alternate dimension briefly, like this battle, plane battle arena. But it, it kind of um, it, it adds a certain element of puzzle into the battle system where there's, since there's it's so littered with enemies and more enemies phase in as you can uh, as you beat more enemies into it. Like there'll be certain uh, enemy configurations where like, hey, I have this magic spell that I can curve and it'll hit like these five enemies at once uh, with it. And unlike if you were to encounter them normally, it only you would only be able to maybe hit like two or three in that uh, random battle itself. At least in Dimension, it lets you like uh, not only do your a lot a lot of grinding in one go efficiently, but it, it uh, introduces like a battle modifiers. So like along the way. Throughout the battle, there'll be like there'll be these little gems scattered across uh, enemies as well. That like if you hit this gem, you'll you'll get an attack up for your party. Or if you hit this gem, you can steal an enemy's turn and a- and act again and whatnot. So it's just it's just little stuff like that that like really makes that uh, simple little like concept worth it. It's like oh that's cool. That's a fun way to do this. I don't have to like go across this map and like have to encounter all these random encounters again and again and again i can just like store that off or like hold that off until i'm done with this session then do all the random encounters in one go when i'm the ready. variation in the what in the enemy positioning in the attack arcs or lines or areas and the the addition of those uh dimension factors like the skip turn orb or the attack up orbs they really do help make this turn-based battle system which is otherwise what you'd expect it helps it feel fresh like it it's 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 a turn-based system. I think George would enjoy. I'll, I'll, <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, <laughs> claim. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, that is that is bold. Uh, a, I guess if I wanted to, if I wanted to bring up any other thing that's maybe not as great, I, the enemy variety is not stellar. A lot of times, what the game will do is it'll introduce like an elemental enemy, like this is a a lightning weasel or whatever. And then later you'll feed the fire one and the ice one or whatever. And then like it does that a lot where there's like just different flavors of not, not all the time. Like there's also like um, so like you'll meet a goblin and then the goblin mage and then a goblin that holds a shield that likes to stand in front and block your attack. So it's a little bit like samey in terms of enemy variety. I do feel like it fits the gameplay purpose, though, because one nice thing is, is that at least early on in the game, not every character will have access to every element. Like Leo will have a fire slash. Uh, one of your mages will have an ice spell. Another mage will have a holy spell. So when you when you go into a battle and you have like these different elements peppered throughout the, uh, the battlefield, you not only do you have the positioning, like I can have this character swing her holy in an arc and hit these five enemies, but these two over here are weak to holy, so maybe I should have them have her attack those instead. So uh, I, I feel like... That is do a disservice. Like I wanted to bring up like something that the game doesn't do as well, but then I talk about how it does kind of fit the game mechanically. Uh, but it does kind of do a lot of this like flavored enemy types, where it's just like it's the same enemy but a different color, wearing a different hat, and it's got a different elemental weakness. Uh, it works, I guess, if you have limited resources and you can only model so many so many enemies. That's a smart way to do it, uh, rather than just saying like this is the tier two goblin or the tier three goblin. It's they they change the element on you and it. It it's it's okay. Like I, I haven't really been dour to be like, oh, these guys again or or whatever. Yeah, it, like it, it's it's just enough, you know. It's like it's that's not not one of those is like ah, oh man. It's like it's like okay, they're, they're, those kinds of enemies show up now. They're, they're, they're similar to recent ones, but like not like it hasn't really bothered me all that much. 
I think on it. I, I think I think I, one, one word of caution to people who like the the type of RPG players that like to collect everything in one go when they like be, be, uh, go to uh, go into a new area. Like this game might drive you insane in that aspect because there'll be like, there's there's a lot of special treasure chests in the in this where there'll be treasure chests you can open up. Once can be only opened up with this kind of key, and others can only be opened up with this other kind of key, and you haven't seen that key at all yet. So there's a lot of like, I can't get all treasure chests in one go when I scour this area. It's like it's just one of those things I have to remember that it's here, and when I get those kinds of keys, I'll have to come back. And I'll put okay. it this way: um, I was keeping like a mental list in my head, like, all right, this place has this key. And eventually, I just had to stop because there was too many. Yeah, <laughs> like. I'll yeah. have to revisit all the areas. And not only not only just like, oh, I can't open this chest with this key. There's been like three, four, or five times where there's like a chest in a location where I'm like, I don't know how I get up there. Maybe that's a part two yep. thing. Maybe, that, maybe that's a certain party member that I get later thing. I don't know. Exactly. Uh, it'll, like, it'll drive you bad. Like, there's like a chest, like, early on, like, when you're in this town, there's like this a, a treasure chest on, like, the roof of this building, and then you go up on this hill. And then what looks like, the perspective looks like, oh, I should be able to just jump to, to that roof of this hill and get that treasure chest it's like nah I'm like how do you get up there it's like i don't know it's like all right well grace <laughs> <laughs> awesome well there's, there's one in the there's there's a bigger city that you get to like four or five hours in and there's this giant arch in it that you walk under that has, has like a bridge shutting off from it on top of that there's a treasure chest which you can only see from like one of the perspectives I'm like, how in the world do I like catapult onto that? I don't know. <laughs> do, I, do I get a party member that can like climb shit later? I, like, what in the world? Does, does this place get underwater and then I can just swim to it? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so it does kind of, I think it's, I actually kind of like that to an extent where I'm just, I, I'm not just like, oh, I've cleared the, uh, the cliffside dungeon and I've gotten everything there. No reason to ever go back. Like, I know there's going to be a reason to come back at least at some point, even if it's just an errand to pick up a chest I couldn't open before. At least I know like that I, that I'll that it will loop back on itself at some point. It's not just like yep, that area is done. Cross it off the list. So I do I do enjoy that to some extent, even though in the moment it can be frustrating. Yeah, I, I don't know if th this has frustrated you, but th there are uh, certain moments because there are the, like uh, uh, there are side quests in this game that most of them are easily visible from the map. Like if the if the if the quest NPC. Is like out and about in town when you pull up like the map screen in your main menu it'll show that quest but if that quest npc happens to be like in a residence or in a household you don't see their quest marker until you actually like visit that household that they're in and talk to that person so you won't know where they are if they aren't out in that open town or or they're not in the in a map screen where they can be seen they have, you have to actually enter that household and that's where you find them so there, there's like this one side quest that uh I was missing it the second town. Like when you're warping uh, between uh, places, it'll actually show you like understand the. It'll show you like if there's an undiscovered undiscovered quest in that town, and then like for this town, I was like I'm missing this one undiscovered quest, but I don't know where this NPC quest NPC is because they're not standing around in town. They're they're like in one of the many households in this. So you town. just kind of have to go room by room. Yep. Yep. Like okay, where are you? Where are you? So that's yes, like one little exactly. quality of life thing that I wish. I don't know how Apple Arcade does with like game patches or game updates. I have no idea how that system works, but I would like to see that quality of life update implemented. It's weird because they're like halfway there because they tell you, oh, in this city, you're missing one quest. You're like, oh, perfect. Thanks for telling me that because otherwise I wouldn't have checked. But now where the heck is it? <laughs> like, yeah. like they get halfway there. Yeah. The, the the side quests so far are kind of very basic. They're not what I would highlight. It's usually go to a different place and deliver something or talk to another NPC and uh, 
sometimes do a battle, but even then, doing a battle is kind of rare on those, I believe. Uh, so maybe, maybe maybe they'll get better. They're fine. They give you some cool weapons and other stuff. And I do kind of enjoy talking, just sitting like. Not many games have me do this, but when I'll enter a new place, I'll talk to most of the NPCs that I can because they do do world building there. It's not quite on the like the Kaseki level where every time you revisit a place, they have different stuff to say. Sometimes they'll say the exact same stuff they said when you were first visited six hours ago, which is like maybe you've been spoiled by other games that are a little bit more diligent than that. But it's kind of fun just to read like uh, just different perspectives of what what would a townsperson from here think about this event that happened far away from them or, or whatever. So. Uh, they'll they'll tell you uh, you are welcome to go into my house and steal any or uh, take anything you want. Yeah, it's it is kind of interesting. You go into some houses and like in a classic RPG style, you can like pick up stuff and sometimes some, they'll like play they'll play with that and be like, you f- feel free to help yourselves or whatever. <laughs> and sometimes they'll like doctor it up like I'm I'm so loaded like I'm just like a rich like a fat cat like you take whatever you want I won't hurt my bottom line or whatever. I go, uh, thanks <laughs> I guess. Um. So yeah, it's I've enjoyed it a lot. It's this might sound a little bit corny and hokey, but I spent like the last couple of weeks like not really playing any new games. Like just kind of in that, just kind of. I think we all have a couple funks like that where you're not always onto something new. Uh, but then this game kind of got me out of it. Like I downloaded it on a whim after watching J- uh, Josh stream it, and I've I've kind of really clicked with it. So hopefully some solution is figured out for making it more accessible. In other ways, yeah, I have no I, idea what that would look like, but I, I feel like this will be the most overlooked or overshadowed game of the of the year, <laughs> to, to be honest, because of the limited availability. And it's a real shame because it's actually something pretty cool. I'm really interested to see how one this game ends off, and two how long we have to wait for the next part because that's the thing that, in the back of my mind, sort of makes me hesitant of like going through this game too too fast because like it's like I know this game won't be done yet, uh, but I don't know. Exactly where it'll be, it'll, it'll end off as well, and what the implications of that will be. Like, what does part two look like? How is that going to be distributed? Is it going to be just like an add-on for this game, or is it a separate client? And will I be able to move my characters over to that? I don't know. I have no idea. But it's it's so weird because that was wasn't that announced like so late? It was kind of like all the, all the release marketing, and then like a month before they're like, by the way, it's going to be two parts. Is that how it went? That's kind of how it feels like it went. Like it was like kind of really late in the game where they mentioned that. I'm not sure. Do you remember Adam on that? I, I think it, I think you're right, but it felt like it was really late. Um, and yeah, I don't want to say anything too declarative. Like, yes, this game is good. You should buy it now if you can, because we're part way through part one. Yeah. I can tell you that the trajectory is good. I'm really liking where it's leading. It's possible that it'll do something really dumb and crash and burn. Like, I don't want to assume that. I don't yeah. think it will, but you know. But oh, it, I just don't it, want to say anything too definitive. Yeah, maybe we should definitely like if you'd be down for it, or maybe like if another third person comes in as well and tries this out, like we should probably like do a spoiler cast before part two comes out or something for this game mm-hmm. because I, I think I think it's it's worth it. It's the next big Sakaguchi thing. I think they really I really like it so far. I remember when this was first announced. I actually like in the back of my head, like I can't believe Miss Walker is still stuck. Like doing this sort of stuff like i just want lost odyssey 2 man or whatever <laughs> but then but now i'm just kind of like you know what i i feel it like i feel the uh the same dna behind it like i i it it i don't know why i was so like looking down on it earlier i, I know why i was i basically i'm realizing that maybe i shouldn't have yeah i i think i was uh, with you too like 
I think this was first unveiled or announced uh, when Apple Arcade was revealed initially, like maybe two years back, I want to say. And then mm. they're like, yeah, Miss Walker is doing a new thing. And then it's like, and Sakaguchi is like uh, working on his next big thing. I'm like, man, really? <sighs> Potentially yeah. the last game for Matsu. Oh, yeah, for like a full, full composing, like from mm-hmm. uh, beginning to end. Yeah. I don't know, but we'll see. I've, uh, I'm interested to see. I, I, I'm invested enough right now to where I'm like, I'm surprised Vertska at how it turned out. And I'm, I'm invested enough to be like, I want to see this whole thing through, through thick and thin. And with that, I think we've wrapped up everything that we've been playing because I believe Adam is playing something that he can't talk about until next week. I think Maybe. that's right. That is correct. All right. I I had to throw that in there. I had to, you know, tease them a bit. Okay. So we'll go on to a few article shout outs that went up in the last week. And there, uh, one is a late review and one is a review of a game that came out of early access. So Adam took the opportunity to review, and I don't think anyone will guess this if they didn't look at the site beforehand, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So Uh, hell yeah. a little bit of background here. So we started reviewing the Assassin's Creed games on our site, starting with Origin, when Ubisoft started like clearly marketing them as RPGs, whether you believe they are or not. I guess that's kind of beside the point, maybe. <laughs> but uh, so we we've kind of like had them in our under our purview since Origins. But Valhalla, just because of scheduling and you know availability, we didn't get a review up late last year. But Adam took it basically uh, under his you know, under his role to, he decided just to do it on a whim, uh, even though it was a little bit late. So Adam, uh, I guess, do you have any highlights about what you wrote up for Assassin's Creed Valhalla? Well, I've already talked about it in previous podcasts. I won't go into it again, but kind of the overall feeling was, was when I started writing the review, uh, everyone has different review writing styles, but like kind of thinking about each component of the game, I was like, you know what? I wasn't really a big fan of the combat because there's just so much of it and blah, blah, blah. And it's just kind of dull. Uh, boss fights are okay, though. Um, I wasn't really a big fan of the story. It's sort of like this segmented, literally, the majority of the game is just creating political alliances. And it's just like this kind of this, uh, it's kind of this repetitive, self borrowing kind of stories that happen over and over. I don't really like the collectible aspect of this game either. It's, you know, it's just kind of like a checklist, just kind of completing the map just because it's a thing to do and then the more i wrote the review i was just like man what did i like about this game and like it looked really really nice um it's got it's got a great visual style uh, especially on you know a, a pretty good pc with hdr and all that and some of the uh like main cutscene like cinematography stuff is genuinely pretty good some of the side quest stuff not so much but otherwise, like I once I started writing, it was hard for me to really nail down like what do I like most about this game, and so I kind of ended up a bit more negative than I expected it to be. I, I scored it a six out of ten. It's just, and may, that's maybe not, that's, that's just kind because of like you went into it not really expecting that, but as you kind of collected your thoughts, that's kind of where you arrived. Yeah, and I kind of took my time with the game. Uh, I kind of took my time with the review since obviously I wasn't in any rush to post it. It was already going to be late. But yeah, just like kind of thinking back on it, it's it's a very pretty game. Uh, part of it is perhaps just maybe just my perspective that 
I'm not a big Assassin's Creed fan. I haven't played one since Revelation. So it's not like this is the type of game I am drawn to normally anyway. So my perspective, my review, that's worth the context there, is that it comes from somebody who is a lapsed fan who doesn't normally play these sorts of games. But maybe that's valuable to certain people to be like, is this a game I would like? And to me, someone who isn't already like into this series or into this genre really, this you know open world action RPG, whatever you want, Ubisoft game, I it didn't really click with me that much. I, I I'm not gonna say it's a like a bad game. It's just kind of like, uh, just it, I don't know if it's like this really this stick this with is me. this is why you had skipped other games leading up to this point potentially anyway, and you were trying to see if this was a jumping on point for you yeah. and it turns out it wasn't right and i hope that's just you know a valuable perspective rather than someone who you know obviously some of the reviews that came out around launch are like how does it compare to odyssey and how does it compare to origins and maybe it makes big strides in direct comparison in terms of like specific improvements here and there i don't know but obviously my perspective is going to be different from that so yeah just uh I don't I think I would. I was in the same boat. I I haven't played the Assassin's Creed since like two or something, or Brotherhood, but going into Valhalla, and I was like, I don't know, maybe it's. Let's see what Assassin's Creed looks like these days. So I was in the same boat as as you as well. And maybe if you're like the type of person where you just kind of want a game where it's just like a big world to explore that looks great and lots of stuff to do, Assassin's Creed certainly has that. I just kind of wish there was a bit more to yeah, it there's that. a lot of game for sure yeah there's a lot i'll leave it at that the other review that went up is one that james did we also did a video review for this and that is record of lados war deedlit and wonder labyrinth which we did a youtube video on it earlier where we looked at the early access but it did come out of early access and james wrote up a review for it and I guess I'll just lead lead you to it from that. So take it away from there. Well, yeah. Um. So I played it. Uh, it's all right. It's a decent game. Um. I will say that, in my opinion, it's the weakest uh, Team Ladybug game I've played. I feel like um, Synchronicity Prologue was better. Toho Luna Nights was definitely better. Um. It's still worth playing, but. Like I say in my review, I wouldn't really go out of my way to play it if I were you, unlike with some of their other games. Yeah. Um, do, you, do we know what Team Ladybug is doing next? Do they have any other announced projects besides this or beyond this? No clue. It'll probably be a licensed game, though, much like this one and much like uh, Synchronicity Prologue. I think the only non-licensed game was Toho because Toho is weird like that so. yeah that's the that's that's a whole other mess of can of worms how they do that stuff so yeah i do want to give an extra shout out to the video review that james did james has been honestly knocking it out of the park he did one for monster hunter rise which you have if you haven't watched you should and then also for this back to back so they're up on our youtube channel at youtube rpg site net so do go ahead and give it a watch. If you don't want to watch it, we also do have the... Uh, Even if you don't want to watch it, give it, a, give it a view, though, just for the uh, metrics. <laughs> <laughs> Leave a comment. Don't forget Subscribe. to click the bell. <laughs> <laughs> All 
And with those features uh, called out, we'll go into the news of the week. So it was still a bit of a quiet period, uh, but we do have a few couple highlights. One that just came in a few days ago or yesterday. I don't remember when this was. Uh, Square Enix announcement of a, uh, a release date. So Neo, the world ends with you. Will woo, launch woo. on July 27th for PlayStation 4 and Switch. And then in, in a surprise addendum, it will also release on PC sometime this summer for the Epic Game Store. So how do we feel about this? I'm not a Tui fan. I haven't played it. So maybe I like a little bit like some some of the excitement for this is kind of like passed me Ooh. by, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm I'm going to pronounce it how the acronym looks. I'm sorry. Yeah. Wait. It looks amazing. What an amazing trailer. Like that that whole sequence at the end, as soon as I mentioned Neku, I was actually like, these characters are really well voice acted. Like I, I already really Yeah, we got we got our first uh yeah, we got our first glimpse at the uh English cast as long as with their voice actors. I assume we got the Japanese cast too, but I haven't actually looked we at did, that. Yeah, the, the we did? Okay. Yep. Um I don't okay, Adam, are you with me and say that like I don't I don't know how I feel about them revealing or announcing Neku like now for the game. It's well, I, I, I know what you mean. It's weird. Like, I, I, I do agree. Yeah. He's 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 Roxas. Also, I, I had this thought. Sorry, sorry to interrupt as well, but I had this thought he's blonde here, and the assumption would be that oh he's dyed his hair to like hide himself but my mind instead as one who has dyed the hair a lot has gone to i think neku used to dye his hair orange because like it looks like his roots have faded in the in the concept art so like it's just an art to, it's just an art thing and not an actual like character thing it's just the art mm. I, it's I a hope game, the first bro, thing he really? says he comes out he comes <laughs> out the dark he's like i was dying my hair orange the whole time and that's his only dialogue that's what i want <laughs> Yeah, we, we we got to see a lot more of the game with the trailer. We saw a few gameplay menus, you know, saw more of the gameplay in action. It's very um how they describe it um is basically you have uh four pins in battle, one pin is assigned to each person in the group of your four person uh party in battle. And th- to me that reads like, oh, it's like Valkyrie profile, but like in a 3D arena space. You know, you know what it reminds too. me of? <laughs> so V from Devil May Cry 5. What's up? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. You're speaking my language. So, I mean, it having a more relatively simplistic battle system on its face, we obviously we have, none of us have played this yet. Maybe it's super complex or whatever. But after what they tried to do with the weird compromise and final remix on Switch, I'm kind of down for just something that's more down to earth. And simplistic, not gimmicky. Like the, to to me, like with all the other releases of the world ends with you, the the original DS control scheme is always ideal for me. Like that's still the one that I like. That's still the ideal version of the game for me. And all the other releases after that, solo remix and final remix, like never really hit that same feeling that the the first one did. And that was it was so tuned for the DS at the at the time, and it was so unique. I was like, oh, okay, that's weird, but I, I liked it. And, I, to, sorry, Josh. Go. Yeah, to, like I, I just say, like for me, if I were to like give fight like final remix like another go, like putting on co op mode but playing it solo is like 
the compromise, I guess, I'd have to go for from if I wasn't playing it on DS. Yeah, to to follow your point of like a compromised gameplay thing, what I like about this is that even though it does look more simplistic, like I have to think that they have made this combat system for these systems. So when you go in and play it, you're playing the version they want you to play rather than in my experience where I played final remix, I'm playing a version that most people would say is not how you should play it. Does that make sense? Like going in there, this is how they've designed it this time. So like, even if it's more simplistic, that's how it's supposed to be. So I'm hoping there's more depth to it, but like, at least I'm going in there on like the right foot. There isn't some other version of the game that, you know, that for Final Remix, you've always got that in the back of your mind where it's like, this is paired back from something that was designed say, differently. the one monkey's paw with uh, Neo is that we got enough, a confirmed PC release, but it's not day and date, which means that I'm not going to play it on PC. Yep. Yeah, I'll just play it on PS5. It's okay. I, I, don't, I really don't want to know. I don't want it to be spoiled for me either. I'm excited for it. I really am. And the, 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 just hearing that, you know, Takeharu Ishimoto is back for, for this project, and the, and the music in that trailer is already fire. I'm like, ah, let's go! I'm I'm ready for more. Uh, Josh, yeah. did you Woo! listen to the uh, so music excited. tracks from the website? I didn't listen to the There's track. Three tracks on the website, what? and people have what? found what? the direct links to I, I the actual MP3s. Oh, nice! I need to go check that up on YouTube later. Yeah, send me them because I, I I would love to hear that. It is um, interesting though that the uh, the PC release is listed as summer, but uh, the other release is already July twenty seventh. I guess it kind of falls into that weird where it's like what I mean, technically summer? most yeah, I guess of September technically... is summer. Right. So, <laughs> so I just saw, I just September saw a comment or... on some of the news where it's like so August, I guess. But yeah. it's like, well, who knows? Like summer. That's all. That's all they told us. Yeah. Uh, you you mentioned this uh, when it was revealed, Adam, like several minutes after about the director of this game of uh neo the world ends with you it actually confused me for a bit but um the director is hiroyuki ito who is also the co-director of final remix but it's not the same hiroyuki ito that did final fantasy 6 and 9 and so on it's just literally just two people with the same name at square enix oh that's not not allowed (laughs) i think it's one of those things that actually like that that was kind of a revelation to me back when final remix released but i kind of forgot about it like yeah, it's just it's just kind of what's the chances, huh? Yeah, but so I, I I'm actually I'm actually curious like who is developing this game. We chat sometimes about like how a lot of Square Enix games aren't actually developed by Square Enix. Like you know, Scarlet Saga Grace, Saga Scarlet Grace was not Trials of Mana was not uh, Near is not. Uh, you know, so many games are like outsourced. I'm kind of curious. Like, is this an internal project or not? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just curious. It, not like it functionally matters as long as they do a good I, job. I, I get you. I was thinking the same. Like, of, mm-hmm. my head always jumps to like, I don't know why. Um, maybe it's a segue, but I always think like maybe the Osaka team had, have a hand in it, like close to Kingdom Hearts. But maybe that's just because well, that's, that's, my that's still internal developed though. Like, it's not like a separate company. Oh yeah. Square Enix oh, also does oh, this I get weird you, I get thing. You. Square Enix also does this thing where they will like create separate companies that are kind of like um 
technically owned by Square Enix, but they sort of separate them. Like they did this oh, with Balan RPG Wonderworld. Factory. Yeah, Balan Wonderworld is Balan Studios. Um, Luminous and, Productions? Is that what that Yeah, Luminous Productions is another one. I think they do that literally so like they can shut it down more easily if they need to. But <laughs> yeah, that's actually not what I'm getting at. That's actually not what I'm getting at. But like, you know, the Bravely Games isn't a Square Enix. I mean, it's a Square Enix, uh, you know, published game in Japan, but it's developed by Claytech Works. You know, Saga Scarlet Grace is developed by Studio Feel. Trials of Mana was developed by Zine, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, the Nier Remaster is developed by Toy Logic. Uh, Saga Frontier Remaster is developed by Bullets. There's just, and none of those are like Square Enix owned companies. It's just, they do that a lot. So I'm just curious who is actually developing Neo? Well, I think it's just, the world it's just, it's just, just, a, just a curiosity. Yeah, it's it's just a curiosity, but it's also just kind of nice, I think, so you can kind of credit them. And so, like, the next time Claytech Works shows up on a project, you can be like, oh, it's the Bravely Default 2 guys, rather than just like nebulously assign everything to Square Enix. I just reminds me of, or, like, or, or like a director. How they like officialized like the uh, like even a logo for creative business unit one now, not not so it's oh uh, yeah it's uh, it's interesting. I I think the one last thing with Neo that I guess I want to put attention to it's not even about Neo, but um the the way they pitched this game is that it takes it it starts off three years after the new anime adaptation for the world ends with you the original game. And uh, so, and that and I think that barely started like yesterday, as of the time of this recording, and whatnot. And it's kind of interesting to see that like they're they're specifying that it specifically it takes place after the anime. So the anime is the new canon right now. Who knows if it'll deviate from final remix in any way, shape, or form? At the moment, like from the first episode, it's an interesting um, observation already that they kind of altered or changed up Neku's characterization just a little bit. While in the game, when that first started, he comes off as a bit more of an open asshole, like uh, the way he his manner of speaking. Um, in the anime, he's kind of more soft-spoken, more to himself, more confused, more so than being outward asshole-ish. So, I, like, I, I saw people saying that that wasn't like a, an anime difference, but more an English-Japanese difference, that the English localization of Neku in The World's End With You, the video game, actually made that change. Interesting. And that he was a little bit more of a loner in Japanese, where he's more of a kind of a brat in English. And of course, you know, immediately people are like, how dare they change that? But I think it still works really well. Yeah, and um, I, I think the end result is still the same. I, I just one of those things like, you know, we're, we're his like, character growth is great. Western players, they were only really exposed to the English script. So we kind of, mm-hmm. our, our depiction of Neku from the, from like the first moments or the opening of that game, I'm, I assume is like different from what Japanese players got. So it's I, I personally think that may, may, I'm. I think I'm really underthinking it. Um, but I think the the reason it's set three years after is just like a tech technology update sort of thing. Like I feel like the reason they're doing that not only because it's the most recent the world ends of you media, but because for it to make sense for these characters to be like so modern and stylish and have like smartphones, it can't be, and for Neku to be yeah. in. It has to be set, like you, you know what I mean. Like I, I've I fumbled that, like a like they, a they changed they changed the canon from like this is Shibuya in two thousand eight. Yes, um, exactly. Shibuya yeah. in two thousand and twenty or whatever. Yeah, or, yeah. So, so we'll I see did it. see. I don't have any context, but I did mm-hmm. see someone say, I don't know how gatekeeping they're being, but they're like, 
uh, don't watch the anime if you haven't played the game. So you're like, oh, so if I want to play Neo, I have to play the first game, then watch the anime, then play the second game? I, I, I don't well, know yet about the, that. It's only I, one I'm episode. I'm all for it so because it means one thing. If the sequel is basing itself off of the anime, that means that there, you can just tell people, oh, you don't need to play Final Remix, just play the DS version and then watch the anime. Well, that's what Brian was saying. He's like, if I want to play Neo, that means I have to play another game and watch an anime. Right, 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 now, right now, that comes off the gatekeepy to, to to me. Like, it just people only one episode of the anime has aired, and people are like, "Oh, it's all it's over. You're you're fucked." Like, it's like yeah, you need to calm down. <laughs> like, yeah, can you glean the basics, or is this, or is the information that is not carried into the anime? even going to be necessary for the sequel we can't even say it kind of reminds me of of persona 5 strikers where they literally just kind of have the anime as sort of like an alternative like you can play the original game or watch the anime either one of those will basically get you ready for this yeah and the anime like for persona 5 like the animation stuff aside it's like it's okay like you know you're not like Mm -hmm. if you don't want to go through sit down for like 100 plus hours of the game like watching the anime is Mm -hmm. like it's perfectly viable like it's you're Mm -hmm. not totally screwed over you know and by the way, if anyone's confused, because I got confused for a little bit, uh, Neo, N-E-O, is like, it's called Neo, the world ends with you. So I guess we've adopted that as the tagline. I keep hearing Neo. Yeah, I keep hearing Neo. But Neo 2 came out a few months ago, and it's really great. Yeah, Neo 2 is great. You should you should play it. That's the name of the game. N-I-O-H colon, the world ends with you. That's the name of the game. Also on the Square Enix front, we got a launch gameplay trailer for the soon-releasing Saga Frontier Remastered. Now, normally with a launch trailer, I kind of like immediately ignore it because it's just like a final marketing huzzah. Like usually it's a couple of minutes just like tying up like all the cinematics together and usually spoiling too much. Yeah, but, Square Enix especially. But, 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 but the tack that they've taken here for Saga Frontier Remastered is that it's like an eight-minute almost like saga introduction like 101 not really but it kind of is more of a primer for the game just because the format and the structure from what i've understood from covering it is just not typical it's it's just a bit different from the normal what you'd expect like some of your presumptions that you might have otherwise are kind of upended in this in this series i've played scarlet grace so i can i have a little bit of firsthand experience with that uh but yeah so the saga frontier remastered launch gameplay trailer it's kind of like, I don't know. It seems like one of those things where it's like, maybe you really, really should like watch that uh, before heading into this game if you're not revisiting it yourself, obviously. But uh, this is coming out uh, next Friday, I think. So obviously uh, next Thursday. So maybe by this time next week, we'll actually be talking about our first impressions with the game. Or may- and we probably will have a review up. Yeah, I get on- oh, before go- Soccer Frontier, man. It's a, that's it. That's the deadline. I mean, April is just going. How are we already like ten days into April, and I like near near is on the horizon. There's saga oh, one and snap. stuff. Oh, like, one okay, snap. Tier done. Before, and then Pokemon Monster Hunter. <laughs> James, James, and Josh have already put like hundreds of hours it, in Monster Hunter. Oh yeah. Do you really think I'm not, not done put yet? Hundreds as soon as they, more. Uh, after... <laughs> 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 yeah, I'll, I'll come back for Camellios and whatever, and Apex Rathalos and whoever else. Sure. Fire up yeah, the, if you're, if, fire if up the you're a... in the morning. There we go. 
But yeah, if you're a fan of like Japanese RPGs, not like the big hitters, but just like smaller, more niche releases, there's a ton like in this spring summer window. Like I haven't even gotten to Bravely Default yet. There's Persona Strikers. There's uh, Near coming out. There's the Saga Remaster. There's Neo Ends with You is July, I guess. There's in a month or so we'll be staring Mana. There's Nocturne. There. There's Mana. I mean, some, some some of those are remasters and re-releases. I mean, actually, like four of them are. But still, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> a lot of the a lot of people haven't played Legend of Mana and Saga Frontier, so they're new games. Yeah. Uh, people will lie to you and say, "Oh yeah, I played them before," but they haven't. I played Legend of Mana. Uh, you're lying. You're lying. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very honest when I haven't played something because apparently it's most things. I want to get to either. My goal is to get to either Saga Frontier Remastered or Legend of Mana. I'm using like the mathematical or that could mean and. So hopefully both, but at least one. Mm-hmm. I guess were there any other comments on this launch trailer, Adam? That like you think are worth calling out, or is it kind of more? You should watch it. Uh, so yeah. that's one thing I'm curious about. Is that like? <laughs> It's one of those things where I played the original three Saga games, and then I have played two and a half of the Romancing Saga games, and they kind of each each like trilogy has their own style, and you can see where like the common DNA is for Saga Scarlet Grace, which is an absolutely fantastic game, game of the year 2019 for us, 10 out of 10 review. But, like Saga <laughs> from here just seems to be a little different um, in terms of how it's formatted and for somehow some of the characters work it seems to bring back like the robots and the monster characters from the original saga games which work really bizarrely but it's sort of interesting and weird romancing saga didn't really have any of that neither did scarlet grace so i'm kind of just like the saga frontier games both the remaster and the second one just like i'm curious how they are different from all the other saga games obviously they're they're still saga games but there's got to be some unique like what makes a frontier game a frontier game that's what I'm interested in. What makes an unlimited saga game an unlimited saga? Game? <laughs> There's that too. <laughs> I've, I've heard so much about unlimited saga that I, I I feel like I have to play it just to see what it's all about. It a lot of it not so good, but there are there are some people I, that I like you wait. just don't understand. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I, they're they're so close, right? They just have to do saga frontier too, and then we're at unlimited saga. Are they gonna do it? Are they gonna try to bring it back? I want them to. Uh, somewhat uh, interestingly, the producer, the current producer for the Saga series, which is Ichikawa, I believe, uh, he actually put out a tweet recently in English. He's obviously you know, a Japanese person, but he put out a tweet in English and Japanese basically saying, hey, what do you guys want to see for the Saga series? Um, and what do you not want to see? What do you not want to see? And obviously the series is relatively niche compared to other Square Enix properties, but that's interesting to me in terms of that they are it's there's there, the indications seem to be that they are continuing with it saga scarlet grace is the most recent game and i'm curious to see um obviously there's a remaster coming out like what they're going to be doing going forward with it whether they're going to be remastering other games or they're going to do another brand new title yeah so I, wonder, I wonder yeah it's it's i'm very curious to like know like what their metrics are now like how much has the saga audience expanded ever since scarlet grace uh like uh, that's that was it feels like that was certainly the kickoff and while it's not like a yakuza series scenario it's still relatively niche uh compared to that but uh, it has to be somewhat bigger now right like it, I, it has to be 
I feel like a lot of it is also the, uh, especially for like the Japanese audience, that mobile game is somehow yeah. surprisingly huge. So there's probably quite a few people who have played the mobile game who haven't played any other game. Right. Sort of a sort of a maybe a tail wagging the dog scenario. It's like, all right, we have to sort of now that we have this mobile game audience, maybe we can make a new title, have some people buy it and play that, and then that's more content for the mobile game. You know, yeah, Just, yeah. Uh, I, I, that's I the only thing keeping Fire Emblem around. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say that, but Three Houses did break a bunch of sales records too, but not pales compared to Heroes. Right. I really wonder, like, just what their metrics are. Like, this is this is like roughly the estimate now, of, like what the Saga global audience is now outside of Japan. Like, it's fascinating. But yeah, we'll uh, hear some impressions from that game hopefully uh, next podcast. A couple other surprise announcements, uh, not from Square Enix. JRPG inspired Edge of Eternity, which has been in early access for a couple years now, exits and goes into full launch on PC on June 8th, alongside a PlayStation 5, PlayStation. Oh, wait, sorry. PC launches June 8th, and then in the last quarter of the year, it will also release on PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series X and S, and Xbox One. Uh, is Adam, I, I know I get these two games mixed up. Is Edge of Eternity the one that debuted at China Joy? A couple no, years ago, that's another no, game. No, that's the other one that looks the same. That's, that's, that's <laughs> Lost Soul Aside. Yeah, uh, so Lost Soul Aside is like a Chinese indie game with a character that looks like knockoff Noctis, and uh, Edge of Eternity is a French indie game with a character that looks like <laughs> Noctis. This is um, not the first time I've gotten them screwed up. It's not the, but it won't be the last. Anyways, Edge of Eternity I mean, is the one we're talking about. It's launching on June eighth for PC and later for consoles. I mean, also to note, Lost Soul Aside seems to be just like dead in the water. Where this game is actually a thing, so um, yeah, it looks. You kind of have to just remember, like when you watch the trailer for this, that it is you know developed by a small team. I think it's like fifteen people or maybe less than that. It's tiny, and so like it's not going to have the best animations or environments, and you know, it's it's a little bit janky looking. But when I, when I watched this and I was talking to Adam about it, my my adjective was that it looks stiff. Like yeah. it just looks stiff. It's gotten I've some good out, I've praise, out of I guess, to like other describe it in other ways, but I don't think there are any better ways to describe it. It's, it's, it. I think the early access has gotten some pretty good early impressions for what it's done. So maybe if you go in with the right right mindset, it'll be good. Yeah, I, I want to try it. I, I, I hear it's okay, you know. Like I'm, I'm definitely just to see. Like it's one of those games that, like, I whenever I browse Steam, I'm like, oh yeah, this is a game. It's oh, but it's still in early access. Like, mm-hmm. maybe I'll just wait on it. But it's one of those like ones that always catches my eye when I browse Steam. It's like, oh yeah, like I want to, I want to try it out. It's, it seems interesting. It, it kind of ha- reminds me a bit of like Outward. Okay, so also in, in it's worth mentioning. It's worth mentioning that oh, yeah. the combat system in this game is actually kind of like it's not an action RPG. It you sort of I don't know if you sort of just assume it is because it looks like Final Fantasy 15 or something, but it's it's more it's actually kind of like a strategy RPG. Like you get into a battle and there's like a grid, and yeah. you do like attacks across the grid. And it's, it's, so, it's a hex-based grid, not a square one. Right. So it's it's that it's it's got that sort of like strategic turn-based positioning style to it for the combat. Also, uh, the, the, when I was looking at the like the fact sheet or the spec sheet for this game, like uh, uh, Yasunori Mitsuda is also uh, somewhat 
like involved in this project as well. Like he, he's contributed to it. He's a it's, that, I was actually looking into that. I'm not sure if it's just one of those things where he did like the opening theme and then they can just slap his name as marketing. Or yeah, he actually did more yeah. than that. I'm, I'm not, not sure. sure. It's not clear. Yeah, but he I did at least one track, which yes. is fun. So. We also have another surprise RPG announcement uh, for localization. Chinese MMO Sword of Legends Online will release in North America and Europe this year. Uh, it released in Japan, sorry, not Japan, China in 2019. So it's a few years old and it's been running there since, but it is getting kind of what I assume is an unexpected English localization at some point this year to be announced. We got an announcement trailer for it as well as like a a PVE overview trailer. So uh, kind of like a an underdog Wuxia, is that the is that how you pronounce that? MMO. I think it's Wuxia. From Wuxia? Okay, that makes some more sense. Uh, so yeah, it's from GameForge, right? The publisher uh, bringing it over? Yep. Yes, GameForge. Here's what I know about this. First of all, GameForge is a German publisher that has done a couple of games like this. They they recently, not a couple of years ago, published Kingdom Under Fire 2, which was this weird, long, dormant Korean action RPG MMO thing. It released, and I kind of haven't heard anything about it, so I don't really know what happened to it. I mean, it's still there, but it just sort of fell off my purview. I, I've heard a couple of not-so-great things about GameForge, although I have no details. Now, this game itself, uh, it's developed by Chinese developers, and I don't I won't even pronounce the names, but um, it's I guess it's part of the larger series that roughly translates to legend or you know swords of legends or legendary sword or or, or whatever. It, in Chinese, I'm going to totally mispronounce this, but it's like Guzhan, and I know that that series has done well. I think there was like Guzhan three on on Steam has been doing selling really really well. I, again, I really apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, but I guess this is. Maybe not like directly related, but part of that same broad umbrella. It's like it's actually in Japan called Gujan Online. So, well, they, it's in the, it's in the really PR popular in, in, or in China. If I said Japan, I meant China. Shigurang uh, Chow on this podcast. Yeah, let's get it. We're clearly not experts at this, but it's it's part of that large series that seems to be popular, like very popular in China, and it's interesting that. It, it'll get an English release, so if you're interested in playing it, and also it's actually getting like an English voiceover too, which maybe for China, you know, they have Southeast Asian English is uh, somewhat common in the region. So, but it's gonna it's gonna have like English voiceovers and all that as well as I think French and German translations. So it's, uh, it's this uh, this game has has fun classes. Like uh, when I'm looking over, it has like six initial playable classes. It's not it's not like your standard warrior or archer or wizard. This one has like reaper, summoner, spell sword, berserker, spearmaster, bard. It's like all right, sure. <laughs> it's really hard though to judge. Like it's an MMO, like a classic, not not a Destiny like, not these other like MMO other hybrid. It's everything that I'm reading about it and seeing in the two trailers. It is an MMO ass mmo like so it's really hard to like it's really hard to judge that like qualities mmos are so hard to just like determine even once you spend hundreds of hours in them let alone like how good does this game look in trailers uh it looks fine they they, they go over raids they go over some of the classes uh it's it, i don't know it, it looks like something that i could easily see myself like um just tipping my toes into it just like why the heck not let's let's just see what that what what is this all about uh 
as for the release, basically, it's going to be, as far as I can see it, it's going to be like a buy to play. So no like sub, no free to play. Standard editions, forty bucks, and it does have like deluxe and collector's editions. And, and even that, that that concept itself is like bold, like in this day and age, right? It's like, oh, it's not free. Hmm. Well, yeah, buy to play kind of had like its time in the sun, like maybe ten years ago, when it's like we don't have a subscription, just pay for the box and then microtransactions, and then. But now it feels like it's paying for the box. Almost seems like a bit out of style it's like it's free to play with microtransactions and probably an optional like premium sub or whatever adam adam you're the one that looked over the news for this i don't see like news about a premium sub it looks like it's buy to play and then i assume like a cash job i I didn't see anything about a subscription at all so So it'll be interesting to see so that's kind of like classic on its own just in its monetary scheme there yeah but yep uh, tba 2021 so Kind of worth know. mentioning here that apparently it's been a while since we've heard anything, but Amazon is bringing over Lost Ark sometime this year as well, and that's a Korean MMO. That both of these games have seems like they've been like in development for a long time, and it's like finally getting English releases. So we haven't heard anything about Lost Ark in a while. Uh, I'm gonna um, check out Lost Ark. That's the one that catches my. But eye. That, that that one's also being sometime this year, supposedly. Yeah, and so- Amazon really wants a successful MMO, don't they? <laughs> yeah. They've got yeah. they've got they've got two in development, and I guess this one well, they're yeah. publishing. So. Exactly. And some smaller news to uh, wrap out the podcast: uh, Monster Hunter Rise has shipped five million copies last week or the week before. I think the number was four million. So still mm-hmm. selling like hotcakes on one system, and it will come to others later, at least PC. So five million for the series. It's kind of yeah. weird because like you compare it to World, and you're like, let's. That's a little bit slower, isn't it? But it's still like a world just kind of knocked, kind of like upped the echelon and where the series will sell, like in the West at least. So it'll be interesting to see. Like, I think James made a prediction that you think this yeah, might I outsell. Yeah, I think it's world. certainly possible. And it's definitely trending at least along um, where world was selling so far. And it's only on one platform right now because you have to remember that world also had Xbox sales to bolster it a bit too. At least launch. Yeah, it's it's hard to really compare because not only is it only on one platform, but there's no overlap. It's like World was not on Switch ever, and this one's only on Switch. So there's not not even any like you have to assume some percentage of the player base is plus, got you know multiple consoles it, on hand. Plus, once it does and come then out, eventually, on PC, World was not a game that I would say you could run on a modest PC. It would be really really hard to do so. Um, but Rise, just due to the fact it's going to be a port of a Switch game, should be playable on many more PCs than World was. That's a good point. It'll be interesting to see like how the how the eventual PC numbers compare to World, which ended up like breaking Capcom records on Steam and all that, like by a large margin. But yeah, it continues to dominate, especially in Japan. Like unsurprisingly, yeah, shocker. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the surprise announcement of a Neptunia slash Senran Kagura crossover game, action RPG Senran Nin Nin Ninja Taizen. Uh, it has a release date in Japan now. It will release on August 26th. Unfortunately, though, I don't know if anyone here is. We have a few people on staff that like the Neptunia games, but I don't know if any of us five are. Uh, I guess I, Josh, you played. I, you played a. Uh, he played, played Virtual Five Games. 
<laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I played the, <laughs> and, uh, the handful of the Senran Kagura games, so like I, I guess I'm the most familiar, <laughs> I suppose. How does how does how does this game look, Josh? Should I be excited for this? I, I don't know if this will uh, convert you into a, a, a Neptunia and Senran Kagura Chad fan. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Damn it! But, uh, I th- yeah, the I think from what I remember from the Famitsu article that the, they revealed the the design of the original character Yuki. They revealed the aside from uh, Asuka and uh, ne- Neptune as the playable characters. They also revealed uh, Noir, uh, Blanc, and Rare from the Neptunia series. As playable. I've never played any Neptunia games, and even I'm just like, of course, like yeah. those four <laughs> characters in every other single game. Yeah. Why would it be? Why would they not be here? And then for Senran Kagura, they have Homura, Yumi, and Yabi, which is for, are from the other schools in the in the Senran Kagura series. As you know, they're kind of like the main four at this point in time. Then Senran Kagura, so obviously the main four characters from each series uh, are playable and whatnot. I, I think the allure of this is from the Neptunia side. They have like, all new outfits. And uh, weapons, uh, obviously. Um, I think I think uh, Blanc will have a staff instead of a hammer, and then Vera, of course, will have the spear because she's always wielded a spear. And then instead of a instead of a sword, uh, uh, Noir will have a like twin sai instead as her or twin blades as her weapon and whatnot. So I mean, cool. I guess I need to see more gameplay, but you know, I mean, it'll be maybe a fun game. Who knows? Uh, Sure. Yeah, I do think I do is, think is mostly even, just going over the character introductions with a little bit of gameplay for each. Yeah. Go ahead, Adam. I, I so as someone who's really honestly not that interested in the series, I do, I do think it is kind of I, it is kind of amusing how it feels like people are still waiting for a new like mainline Neptunia, and even after Virtual Stars, they're like, well, maybe the next one will be mainline. It's like, well, <laughs> no, this is a weird collab title. So I mean, it's been kind of I think. Uh, maybe this is bad to say, but I think the most amusing part from my standpoint of this uh, reveal is like kind of the, the Neptunia fandom and the Senran Kagura fandom, like having to bitter, bitterly tolerate each other. I still, because they're kind of both a similar camp. Like we bought main a new mainline game for our game, and and they're kind of like stuck together now with this game. It's like, oh, I guess, and it, especially from the Senran Kagura side, because uh, Takaki has like departed for Psy Games. So Honey Parade Works is still like a company, but he's not involved with them now. So they're they're kind of a weird in a weird like similar scenario of like, well, I I guess we'll take what we can get, right? Right? <laughs> so I don't know. Who knows? Who yes. Knows? So for both series, it's like this is what you get. Like it or leave it. Right. Right. Hopefully. And by hopefully- the way, by the way, meet, meet your new neighbors and they're in the same boat as you. <laughs> yeah. And that's even like the premise of the game, like not necessarily that they're waiting for the mainline game, but that like the premise of the game is like that they're the two, they're two separate camps, and then they meet and whatnot. So, ho- hopefully, it shakes out it controls well. Like the Senran Kagura games are are generally like decent action games, if not if anything else, you know. Shifting gears entirely, mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about Mass Effect. <laughs> oh. Boy. All right, so we had already kind of learned a little bit about the details and the upcoming improvements to the upcoming Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which is only about a month away, surprisingly, May 14th. Uh, But Bioware released a blog post, which is almost fashioned like a pre-release patch notes about what has changed in a bulleted list from 
the original game to the remaster. Uh, like for instance, I'm just looking. I'm just perusing the list now, and it's like Shepard can sprint out of combat. Melee attacks are now mapped to a button press rather than being based on proximity. Uh, now all enemies take headshot damage. So it's kind of it reads like patch notes. So it's like if you have like a really good memory about exactly how um, Aspect One played, you can kind of read through this and be like, this is how it's different now in the uh, in the remaster. And then of course the blog post, which we've linked on our news post uh as well does give a little bit more context to like why things have changed what their goal was uh make it more consistent from game to game etc so some of these stuff has already been like mentioned but now it's just kind of like detailed out and really delineated into one change one change that actually was like the most interesting to me um was in mass effect so mass effect one obviously changed the most but in mass effect one there are a few locations that um kind of have these winding paths and walls in your way and apparently that was uh very deliberate because at the time they didn't want to like render the whole area all at once because it would you know impact performance so they've had like walls and stuff put in the way so you kind of have to you would kind of have to go around sneak around to get to where you want um and in the re in this remaster they literally just took some walls out like hey we can render the whole area at once now no no reason to have it have you have like these snaking paths around you know uh staircases and whatnot and yeah it's just that, one of those things like I, you don't really expect that as like a common remaster change They're like oh i guess that makes sense though that you can do that and it's obviously probably for the better to get around more easily so that's that was probably like the one most singular the singular most interesting thing I was going to mention the exact same thing before you did because uh, like uh, IGN has like a really nice like comparison video where they kind of have a feature around it. And that, that was one of the, the main bullet points like at some part of the Citadel in, in Mass Effect 1. Like when you exit the elevator, there's like just a wall in your way. And it's like, and you have to get around that wall to like go like explore the ro- this room in the Citadel. And like that was like always like a weird like structure or like instance in, in that game. It's like, okay, well, I guess. And and uh, having like a Bioware level designer explain like why that was back then and why they can just like get rid of that wall now, you know, that's like, okay, cool, sweet. Like, you know, and they also like detailed like more like subtle changes, like in the hangar, the Mako hangar does like new lighting structures to like give more light to that room and whatnot. The Mako has new thruster jets, right? And and some and some of the like just vanity things around like the citadel like the like the couches are like more lively like there's like red cushions there's on cushions the yeah <laughs> Woo! It was, like before it was just like a like a literally like a stone bench and it's like now we have cushions on the bench so some of the sense. stuff that i'm reading through this i'm like i forgot that it worked like that like touching lava is no longer a, a, an instant mission failure it just deals damage over time like oh i had forgotten about that either that or i never stepped in lava but apparently it just instantly ended the mission before and now it doesn't yeah, i remember that yeah i've heard such bad things about the those sections of the game that like you know i'm, I'm kind of glad that it's been ed- I, and that's like and so- as- no it, it, that's fine it works and there's also some things that like are almost so like basic that I almost wouldn't have thought of them. But like, for instance, in the original trilogy, uh, Femme Shep, a female Commander Shepard, was always possible, but wasn't really like a marketing focus until the third game where they kind of redesigned her. So they said like, the design for Mass Effect 3 is now the default, though the original is also available. They all talked about the achievements that like have been unified across the trilogy so that they carry over from game to game instead of having like the same achievement segmented in different places. 
So like just stuff like that, where it's like, you know, that makes sense. These are all things that they had to consider now that they have them all under like a unified launcher now. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to the most is just having all three games in one neat, tidy package with the only only thing missing is Pinnacle Station, which we talked about previously that they just lost the source code, which is kind of like bummer. But other than that, looks like it's shaping up to be quite uh, comprehensive. I think I think one of the neat like not additions but like implementations into the legendary edition as well is that they're bringing over that mass effect genesis comic by dark horse into the experience uh, into the, like, the experience so like if you for some reason you don't want to play the first one you just want to go into the second or third one they still have those comics that like you can make those key critical decisions so the uh, you, you can still make the decisions that you wanted from the uh, from the previous game but without actually playing it so if you just want to jump into like later it, Mass Effects, but still have decisions. Back I'm trying there. to remember the order of events of that. It's because Mass Effect 2 released on the other consoles before Mass Effect 1 got off only, it was only on Xbox for the longest time. Yeah. So they did the comic as kind of like a band-aid for like, oh yeah, you can play through the sequel, just just read the comic first. And now it's kind of like, you could argue, well, that's completely not necessary, but it's just kind of nice, like, you know, why not? We'll, we'll include it. It's part of the Mass Effect history, so we'll we'll put it in our package here. Like, yeah, it's a legacy thing. It. It's preserved in that yeah. way. Yeah, it's cool. Mm-hmm. The only other game-specific announcement I have right now is that the Diablo 2 Resurrected Edition is in like a technical alpha right now. You have to have opted in to like receive updates for that, and I guess a few were selected uh, to play it. Or be a VTuber. <laughs> or be a VTuber. I was not, and am not, so I'm not playing that. <laughs> but, VTuber? Oh, Brian. <laughs> sorry, I don't, I don't mean to let you guys down, but that's going on right now. That's a game I'm also I'm excited for coming out this year. It looks really nice for the streams I've watched of it. Like the the it really lo- it, the way they did the instant toggle between legacy graphics and the updated stuff is so smartly implemented. Like that's looks, that's so cool. It looks absolutely great. Um, I'm not going to play it for personal reasons, but it does look fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's vicarious visions on that, isn't it? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. oh. they're on. The Diablo, yeah, I think so. Oh, <laughs> they could be making Tony Hawk. <laughs> hey, yeah. man, I really like Diablo too. So I like so Tony I, I'm yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll take I'll, it. I'll take it. I want to. I want to play the shit out of this. The very last news bit I have here is concerning E3 2021. Ooh, oh boy, they, <laughs> they, have, they have confirmed that this year it will be a digital only event again. To I think no one's real surprise. Well, again, did even take- Oh yeah, I guess yeah. Not again. Sorry, that's a, that was just me misspeaking. <laughs> I was just thinking like last year, but no, it did not even happen last year. A bunch of a bunch of proto E three substitutes happened, but not E three proper. But yeah, okay. Let me restart. I think the, E3, I think E three twenty twenty one is a of- digital event this year. All right, go ahead, Adam. I think one part about this that I think sometimes the ESA just forgets is that. Most people who watch and pay attention to E3, it's always been a digital event. So yeah, basically. <laughs> so it, it's you know obviously for people like us who have been there in person and can do interviews and you know meet with other journalists and meet with developers and th- things like that, it's a little different. But to a lot of just like the you know potentially hundreds of thousands of people that watch it, it's. If it's just going to be presentations and conferences and streams, that's kind of what it's always been. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for, a of, for a lot of people like watching it, like the, the E3 experience is just like the ESA hitting play on the video 
for, for some of these companies. Like, here's the, mm-hmm. here it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously details are pretty light right now, but they did uh, give us a list of participating companies. Uh, Capcom, Cock Media, uh, Konami, Nintendo, Microsoft, Take-Two, Ubisoft, Warner Bros. With the expected absence of Sony, as they were even way back in 2019. So, Sony. Yeah, there's like the initial like partners list. So there, there might be more partners uh, in the coming months to, to participate as well. And they also have a, a like a... Uh, E3 will still happen like behind the scenes as well to like media partners like the week before, I think. I forgot the exact dates. They have it uh, on their press list where the schedule says June 7th through 11th are the pre-E3 media days. We don't have any idea what those are yet, like what that means, what that is, just that it's scheduled. Yeah, there's like no way they're like doing this in person. So I imagine they're like like uh, doing it through either Zoom calls or through some other method where like um, they're just kind of trying to sort out like the like demos, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, instead of like doing it in person, they're doing it digitally. So I imagine the, the all the extra days is kind of like compensating for the any technical hindrances they might run across because you know setting these up like in person is like easy peasy, but relative to like digital where anything can happen, like connection screw ups or like uh, maintenance periods or like the the tech and whatnot. So I imagine that's why there's such a big buffer mm-hmm. for this. Now. And then June twelfth through fifteenth is the E three broadcast period and. Not much detail to go on. They just say virtual streams and announcements available online through all major video platformers, platforms, yeah, as so well as through the portal and support and supporting mobile app. Yeah, so that's like the inverse now, where like the actual E3 proper is happening over the course of a weekend instead of like weekdays, where like the mm-hmm. exhibition period is like done through like Wednesday through Friday. Now it's like actually like Friday through to Sunday or something. So, um, yeah. Sure, I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, to to a lot of people, like on the outside, like E three is like a recognizable brand to get excited over. Uh, obviously, like the the key part of E three, the the why E three is valuable is lost as being a digital only event because E three in person is like a a good spot where like you know like the entire industry is just like in one spot for like a good week so like any contacts that you need to like meet up with or catch up with or set up meetings around that would be normally hard uh geographically um is is valuable in that e3 period when everyone is is there in person uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, you're kind of dancing around it but uh yeah. there's a lot of like literally like publisher developer business like you know meetings and agreements that happen at e3 as well obviously those are not privy to the public or even to a lot of the media there but obviously that happens you know when people are going to be all in one spot that it's a, there, there's a there's a whole room of office cubicles where these meetings take place and so that's not that's not going to be at a digital event so yeah so uh, I, and I it's get... one of those things where it's like you know esa has obviously had a lot of baggage and a lot of stuff to deal with in terms of data security and all that stuff and should we be excited about them trying to trudge through e3 in some fashion 
I, I guess I'm kind, yeah. of, I'm kind of like yes dot 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 question mark. Like, now, now, now that you <laughs> mentioned it, it is valuable to to mention that uh, they also came out and said that like every like every element of like the E3 like front facing is like free. Uh, this time around, there's like no premium pass or anything that they're gonna try to like. There's like no fees to like access what they want to like share to the public mm-hmm. in this. So okay. Sure. One okay. one last line here that's a bit curious is they're saying like this will pave the way for more in 2022 when E3 will encompass a full 360 degree interactive digital and in person event. Like what is what is 360 degree digital event yeah, mean? Yeah, okay. It's like it'll be even yeah, more uh, digital. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the streams for E3 next year are going to be 360 degrees. So they're going to do that sort of thing where they like take a a multi-dimensional camera and walk around the show floor and then Google create like a virtual through. space. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can like, hey, you can visit the Capcom booth digitally or whatever. <laughs> it's like you're you really waited line digitally. Yeah. <laughs> you ever wanted to simulate how you're uh, waiting to, to, to play a game for six hours at home? Well, but I know. <laughs> But obviously, we're going to be looking forward to some of the excitement of on it. Uh, the some of the like, we I've, there is no Square Enix mentioned yet. Hopefully, they have a presence there because uh, they only the last couple of years, like 2018, 2019, started doing their own thing and a lot of announcements there. Uh, so that's like we're, that's where like Tifa was revealed for Seven Remake and all that. They have their Square Enix directs, the like a separate. So I mean, why why even? Yeah. Like, I, know, I know a lot of people are interested in uh, like the Square Enix Japan side, but you know they announced Life is Strange three in one of their own directs, and that's and they did probably going to be a really direct. successful title for them. So they did mention that. I forget. I know at the end of that direct that it was in early March that they mentioned another one was coming. Did they give a window, or did they just say like I think they just said like later? <laughs> I, I right. They said summer, but I'm not sure. Summer. Yeah. Well, just like Nintendo can do a direct anytime, but then they always had the E3 direct. So hopefully Nintendo kind of winds up. I wonder if Nintendo's E3 presence is going to be where they announce the long rumored Switch Pro. Ooh, mm-hmm. that'd be cool. Like I think, even even though like Sony's obviously not there, I imagine they'll capitalize on like the E3. Well, who knows what Sony's doing at the moment anyway? But maybe they'll be like, oh well, it's E3 time, so we'll do our state of play like close to it. Like that's yeah. why. Yeah. Now. That, that's I, think, I think right now Sony just needs some distance and time from the press they're getting. God, yeah, yeah, please forget about us for now. But uh, that, that's that's always the the big thing about like putting out an E three date is at least uh, people who are, even aren't like directly involved with E three at least have like a time period of like okay, well we'll announce our stuff like the the week before E three happens. That's what that's what's been happening like you know prior to this prior to like what COVID has happening is like the usually the the week before E three was like for a lot of like smaller third-party publishers it's like that's the type of reveal stuff so at least we are caught in that this weird maelstrom of like e3 news like there will be at least eyes on us but so like are still attentive but it's not like the main e3 thing but we still have eyes on us before e3 i think i think people sometimes forget that like for example ea ea the last few years has had ea play that literally runs like the same dates as e3 is like a few a couple blocks away from the E3 place, but it's technically not affiliated at all. It's just like, hey, we're just gonna kind of, you know, piggyback it's off not you guys here while people are paying attention. It's literally a block yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, 
I was going to say a block, but I kind of softened myself. Like it's, you know, it's very close, but it's technically not at E3. It's just at the same time in pretty much the same place. In person, they're convenient because there's like good, like good spots to eat between E3 and E3. Yep. And the EA place, so it's like if we want to go there, it's like okay, we can go eat there then. Man, I, I miss my uh, the the joint that I uh, uh, hang out at at E three, like the good like bar to eat. Ah, I miss that. I can't spot. wait. Next next year's our year, guys. Next year's RPG site. I say reunion. Next year is the time I meet you guys, but this year. Sadly not. We'll see. We'll see if it's safe. Like, ho hopefully it is. Uh, we, we'd love to, you know, chat, like, get together <laughs> and whatnot. Live Tetra. I know, I, know, I know we're a broken record. It's actually not off the table. That's a, that's a possibility. But, you know, it'd be more than a year away from now. But hopefully we've been a broken record. But we have, obviously, E3 is, like, the perfect time for most of our staff to get together and meet each other in person. So that's always kind of a highlight for us specifically. It was, it was. I'm always going to remember how I how I met most of the RPG site crew, because yeah, like there's a zero escape themed uh, escape room uh, thing around that time, and that uh, a good chunk of us at that time uh, met each other and like through that, like a, a good icebreaker. That was your icebreaker. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember when I met Josh at E3 a couple of years ago. Like he kind of knew what I looked like because he had met Brian at that point. Like, hey, I just look like him. So just come meet me. I don't know what you look like. <laughs> Adam and I are brothers and we look alike is the context yeah. there. <laughs> All right. It's like, oh, you must be Adam. I got gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> well, with that, that wraps up everything we had to talk about so we still had a good full uh podcast where we talked got to talk about a couple of cool games uh seems like the highlights this week were disco elysium and fantasian so give those a try if you can because they seem like they're both really good especially in the case of disco like you don't maybe even need to, like, wait for it maybe wait for it uh, yeah i guess there is a, still a caveat on that one too like maybe give it a month <laughs> But of course, we have the we have the videos like the uh, review up on our YouTube channel at RPGSite.net. We have all the features, including like the the hollow written review, up at RPGSite.net. You can follow us on Twitter at RPGSite. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or Google Podcasts or iTunes. I believe all three are possible. And we also have our casual mode video series up on our YouTube channel as well. The last game that we did look at was Romancing Saga Three. So. Uh, we kind of did that in preparation of sorts before the upcoming Saga Frontier remastered. And other than that, stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you next time.